This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on this side. Happy Monday morning to you. And happy recovery from the Easter weekend. Are you all egged out? Have you had enough eggs? Well, today is the day. Uh, today is the day we'll get rid of all the eggs because it's National Hot Tub Day and Something on a Stick Day. Something on a stick, not a not an egg. But you could hard boil eggs in the hot tub. Ooh. Ooh. You could make a nice poached egg in the hot tub, too. Yeah. Just another way to bring the egg in. Why are we doing that? Just thought it was appropriate. Uh, I'm fighting a cold, and it's winning. My nose and my throat, they're saying, no, we're not doing the show today. And I don't know what it is. I think it's all the, it's all the festivities, the partying that went on for Easter. I'm now can't breathe. What do you do? Today we've got a great show, though. Joe Cannon will be on the show today, our Washington insider. We will talk all things political, I guess. We'll get into the Bernie Sanders sweep. Holy cow. Bernie Sanders is on fuego. Killing it in the West. Now, I don't know if he would say that, but he's killing it. Hillary Clinton. And somehow his interaction with a bird made better news stories out there. Did you see that? No. What happened with Bernie he's a, and the he's, bird? A, he's up in Portland. Yeah. Holding a rally and a bird landed on the stage. Oh, really? A little finch or yeah. sparrow or I don't know, some little bird. And it just sat there. So he, he's talking and everyone starts reacting. To the bird. So he's looking around like, what's going on? There's this bird. He looks over and goes, oh. Then he goes to say something, and the crowd erupts because the bird flies up and lands right on the uh, podium where he's standing, right in front of him. It's a sign. And everyone's just – they think it's – I don't know what they were thinking, but people went nuts because here's Bernie, and here's a bird, and they're having some interaction. I don't know. The video is funny just because the bird's there. Yeah. Did he talk to the bird? I don't know. Was it a sign that the bird – see, the bird loves – the bird feels the burn. If, if I, I, I think at one point he tried to say something to that end, but yeah. I'm not sure if the crowd Got let it. him say it because they kept screaming and because yeah. you know there was a bird. Well, I think it's a sign. It's a sign that he's one with nature. One with nature. Okay, that he's calm. He's like Snow White. He can yeah, just call in the forest now, animals. If he had just been <laughs> singing a song and seven little dwarfs walked on, that'd be great. Oh yeah, then you'd have a real story. <laughs> Up to that point, it was just a bird. But, but he won, what was it, uh, Washington, Alaska, and Hawaii? Yeah. That's a pretty big Western sweep. Eh. This is, remember, right on the heels of all of these uh, Democratic senators saying, you got to get out, Bernie. Yes. You got to get out. And he's like, hold on, I've got to go sweep Alaska. Yeah. Where else? Well, I have Washington. Alaska, Washington, and Hawaii. It's great. Who said, you know, who said he's done? Not the burn. No. Apparently Hillary struggles in the West. A little bit. 
Wonder why that is. Past. Her past history. Yeah. People have questions. Well, and then the West. And she has very little in the, by the way of answers. And the West has guns. Well, there's a lot of guns out here. I don't know how Hillary would win Alaska. No. I don't know if she's concerned about Alaska. Apparently not. She's more concerned about New York and California because there's more votes there. Now, what if what if he can go, you know, win a New York? That would be something. Yeah. I don't think he will. And, uh, man, I'd give anything to have the Republican race running like the Democratic race. Just calm. More issue-centered? Uh, more issue-centered. Hmm. Very few tweets about someone's wife. There's a theory about that. Really? Ted Cruz. Yeah? He seems to have an idea as to why that keeps happening. Yeah, why? why what, is, what does Ted say? Um, let me see. Where, uh, 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 clip six. And sadly, what, what Donald has done, when he gets scared, listen, particularly on foreign policy, Donald is out of his depth. He doesn't know. He doesn't understand these issues. One of the reasons he was so scared this week is this past week, Donald called publicly for effectively withdrawing America from NATO. Now, that is a catastrophically foolish proposition, abandoning Europe, withdrawing from the most successful military alliance of modern times. His lack of understanding on foreign policy, his lack of ability and readiness to protect this country was evident. And so Donald did what he always does. He tried to find a way to change the subject. He hasn't campaigned for a week. He's been hiding in Trump Tower. But late at night, he sends tweets attacking my wife, attacking Heidi. It is inappropriate. It is wrong. It is frankly disgusting. Yeah. Uh, similar sentiment yesterday on, I believe it was Meet the Press, who had an all-female presidential correspondent Ooh, wow. uh, panel. Yeah. And uh, they, came, they, they all said that's kind of the trend that we're seeing is that whenever Trump hits a point where it's kind of stretching his ability to, uh, to have a conversation about whatever the topic is, he throws something else out there to distract everyone and move the conversation to Trump and his wife or Trump's wife versus yeah, Ted Cruz's, Cruz's wife. Instead of talking that makes about sense. now, he he called for NATO, the U.S. to get out of NATO, and then the next day the attack in Brussels, hmm. like twenty four hours yeah. later. And so, so you're you're like, oh wait, right when you need NATO, <laughs> yeah, down the street from the interesting. headquarters. Interesting. So yeah, so it's just a little distraction method. And then he, and then as Ted Cruz said, he kind of just hung out in his tower and tweeted all week, <laughs> and then came out for the Sunday shows. But he's not campaigning. He's just up there, I guess, sitting in his silk robes. That's what Ted Cruz would like you to think. <laughs> I don't Tweeting. know if that's the truth or what, but you know, I don't even want to know. Yeah, it's it's far beyond. It's not worth our information. But uh, you see that though. It, w- there's a lot of these things are just distractions. They yeah. eat up time. Yeah, and you never actually get to the issue, which has kind of been this entire presidential cycle so far. He's struggling with the uh, you know kind of his international policy stuff. Anything foreign policy oriented. See, he seems to keep being on the losing side of certain ideas. You know, it's a it's and, a complicated and, and, thing. And strangely, many of those same foreign policy ideas are very similar to Ted Cruz. Well, yeah, and strangely, they're what people love about him. Yeah, but, but Ted Cruz puts it puts it forth in a, a polished, yeah, sort of what what seems like a finished product. Whereas Trump says a very similar thing, but in his way, and people don't like the way that sounds. Yeah, it might. Yeah, well, it's Trump versus Cruz. Yeah, they Cruz bo- they, is polished. They both want to build a wall. Cruz just started talking about how he wants a wall to also, 
and they both want to drop a whole a, a, a big vo, vo, high volume number of uh, bombs on certain countries. Wow, that's kind of their foreign policy at the moment. Huh. We'll bomb things here, and we'll build a wall here, and they both kind of have the same idea. But one scene, one uh, Cruz is you know he acts like he has a policy, and it's that that's how it's kind of perceived in the media. Whereas Trump is perceived to have nothing, but it's very similar to what Cruz is talking about. Oh yeah. Well, so is it all presentation? Is it all just how yeah. you? Well, pre- some of it though is Cruz has probably studied it more. You would hope, right? Being a, a senator sitting on certain committees, but you know the wall's one thing, but I guess another thing is trade, which is Trump's like forte supposedly. Except he he plays it up as a strength. Yeah. I was in business. I know what I'm talking about. Right, but he also talks about getting rid of all of these other trade agreements that have we've had forever and yes you know, that, that would certain agreements that maintain shipping lanes and another issue taxes taxes right everyone's got their own tax plan this week i weekend i found a, a website that has a calculator that it, it it takes what ted cruz donald trump bernie sanders and hillary clinton it doesn't have Kasich in there because they said his plan isn't detailed enough yet to, to put into this right. calculator but what it is is as an individual you can put in how much money you made last year Oh, and, and it find will, out. And it will tell you in 2017 how much more taxes or less taxes you would pay depending on the candidate. Which candidate would you pay the least with? Donald Trump would save me between five and $7,000. Wow. Ted Cruz is about 2000 less than that. Hillary Clinton would be about $60 more, so basically the same. And Bernie Sanders would be $12,000 more in taxes. <laughs> well, don't let that get out. I'm like, Bernie... Uh, you know, you have some good ideas, but I don't know. There's some other things that might have some questions. But with the Donster, you'd save $6,000. Right. And and as the, 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 the post basically pointed out, you have different ideas. You have Trump who's going to pull back on all services. So you would end up having to, if you walk into a, a government office, things that were paid for today yeah. wouldn't be paid for under Trump. And so you'd have to shell out money to pay for these services that normally were just taken care of. But you'd have $6,000. That apparently you'd pay for in a government <laughs> service. Whereas with Bernie Sanders, you would walk in and there would be more services paid for right. because you paid more in taxes. Like everywhere you went, you'd have a government benefit. And so you would have this idea of savings because you'd walk into a place where formerly you'd have to pay money, you know, pull out money to pay for it. Right. In this case, it's all taken care of. Wow. So it's just a matter of... What process do you want? Do you want things paid for, or do you want to just pay for them yourself when you get so to that Bernie's situation? So Bernie's is like a, like a government country club. Sort of. And uh, Trump's is more like a Costco. Yeah. It doesn't cost too much to play, but you got to pay for everything. Yeah. Hmm. Or, or Hillary Clinton's tax plan is everything stays exactly the way it is right now. Great, but free email. But email's free. You can do whatever you want with that. <laughs> All on government servers. Isn't that fun? I, I I played with that for quite a bit. I thought that was quite interesting to see how much wow. you would pay versus... So let me get this straight. So it was Easter weekend. Yeah. I mean, you know, you for 10 minutes, like two, 10 minutes on late Saturday night, I found a post. Played with I played with a calculator <laughs> while I watched TV. He was I'd... taking a break from beating his child with a pool oh, noodle. Oh, that's right. right. Yeah. He must have been in bed by He went then. to bed. He's like, I've had enough of this pool noodle. Going to bed battered <laughs> battered at the pool noodle and then your wife's just like she was asleep okay she's tired 
good times. Tired of me, tired of life. Yeah. Tired of being awake. Yeah, really good times. Tired of filling eggs with candy. Just tired of everything. <laughs> hey, uh, let's get to the headlines. Anything going on around the world we need to pay attention to, Terry? In his Easter Sunday Mass, Pope Francis called on the need for weapons of love in light of the recent terrorist attacks in Belgium and others, others worldwide. Uh, according to media reports, many, many, uh, says, may Jesus draw us closer on this Easter feast to the victims of terror that, bl- that uh, bind, that blind and brutal form of violence, which continues to shed blood in different parts of the world. He said from a, a balcony at St. Peter's Basilica, Francis also spoke of bringing an end to conflict in Syria and instructed Europeans to remember the needs of fleeing refugees. Wow. He kind of gets up there and goes, okay, everything that's bad we need to think Stop about and it help. and with love. Yeah. It's true. It's great. I wonder when that's going to happen. <laughs> when does that be? He did not give a timetable as to when <laughs> this needed to start. So, Okay. Fresh from the Democratic presidential primary wins over the weekend in three U.S. states, Bernie Sanders on Sunday claimed political momentum as he, could, uh, he said he could help him win the backing of Democratic power brokers in his race against Hillary Clinton. Sanders easily won nominating contests in Alaska, Washington, and Hawaii on Saturday. His latest remarks reflect his plan to chip away Clinton's commanding lead and the number of delegates needed to win the, the primary's nomination. They have a problem. His campaign has a problem with superdelegates because they, uh, they can change their vote. So yeah, they may, they may right. commit to Hillary, but they could switch. And so yeah. they, there's an opportunity there. And he's, he's really won four of the last five in the West. He has. So maybe these delegates will be like, yeah, we need to, we need to give Bernie a will shake. Will they switch and change their mind there? Sanders said Sunday that he wants to debate Hillary Clinton in New York State before the April 19th primaries. Um, I wrote one op-ed. He said uh, basically the Clinton campaign does not want to debate at yeah. all. They're done. That's true. Huh? They don't want to do any yeah, more of done. this. They're done. They and he want wants to, to change that. So uh, tens of thousands of people have signed a petition calling for Quicken Loans Arena in Cleveland to allow guns at the Republican National oh, Convention, brother. all in the name of safety. The Change.org petition, which had about 40,000 supporters as of Sunday night, claimed that the arena's weapon ban makes those who attend the RNC in July sitting ducks utterly helpless against evildoers and criminals. It's addressed to the Republican candidates like Donald Trump, who quoted as promising to eliminate free gun zones in schools should he be elected. Cleveland, Ohio, is constantly ranked as one of the top 10 most dangerous cities in America, the petition states. By forcing attendees to leave their firearms at home, the RNC and Quicken Loans Arena are putting tens of thousands of people at risk, both inside and outside the convention site. Wow. That would be a really fast way to end it all. (laughs) Just allow more guns. And then you have possible unrest at the convention if, sure. if it's contested uh, and we have more weapons on the premises crazy i could yeah <laughs> scary Forty thousand people so we'll see where that yeah. goes california lawmakers and union leaders have reached a tentative deal to raise the state's minimum wage to 15 dollars over uh, 15 dollars an hour over six years it could avert a cam a campaign to bring the issue to voters two california newspapers reported on sunday citing unnamed sources the deal if passed in the state legislature and signed into law by governor jerry brown would add to a wave of minimum wage increases at the state level in the united states where the federal minimum wage has remained at 725 an hour for more than six years the agreement according to the la times would gradually raise the minimum wage in california from uh, ten dollars an hour to fifteen dollars an hour by twenty twenty-two. Wow. I guess that's good. I mean, who's going to pay for that? Isn't California already struggling with budgets? And, Usually, 
So it just seems like everybody in the state's going to get a raise. I mean, everybody at minimum wage. Yeah. So hmm. see what happens. Wow. That's I know that's a controversial that's topic nice for people. Of them. Um, if you have a 10-seed Syracuse in your brackets for the Final Four, you're probably feeling pretty smug. Only 0.4% of NCAA men's bra- basketball tournament brackets listed the orange progressing to the Final Four. This according That's to cool. SB Nation. And for a smart reason, Syracuse defeated top-seed Virginia on Saturday was historic. No 10-seed has ever made the Final Four. There's only one one-seed, right? Right. UNC. North Carolina. So the number of people who predicted this uh, Final Four matchup, Villanova versus Oklahoma and Syracuse versus North Carolina, is expectedly to be small. Also, of the 13 million people who have filed brackets on ESPN.com, only 1,140 predicted wow. this specific Final Four. That's amazing. Which begins Saturday night. Yeah. Big time. That's cool. That's really cool. Man, I have a feeling Oklahoma's going to just run. They, they, they routed. They routed. Okay, we got a great uh, show coming up. Stick with us. Joe Cannon will be in the studio with us. Our Washington insider walking us through the ins and outs of this political process. Holy cow! Got a lot to talk about. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today uh, we're talking politics with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. He hates the title, but uh, he plays the role so darn well. Uh, Joe was chairman of the Utah Republican Party back in the day. He also was a candidate for U.S. Senate, served as an assistant administrator to the U.S. EPA under the Reagan administration, and was named editor of the morning uh, Deseret News, not the Deseret Morning News, the Deseret News, and um, did a wonderful job there as editor over a, a major, you know, Intermountain newspaper. And he joins us today, uh, you know, to walk us through what's going on politically. And Joe, I, I got to know, what do you, <laughs> without leading the witness at all, I want to know just what's your gut feel for what's going on in the GOP between the Cruzster and the Trumpster? <laughs> Well, I, I would say it's getting nasty, but that would be wrong. It's yeah. already been nasty. It's pretty so, nasty. So it's not. Uh, uh, it's yeah. It's 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 getting nasty. What you have is you have two guys who really really want to win. Yeah. And who both of them uh, don't have a problem with kind of bare knuckles approach. This is getting yeah, ugly, yeah. though. Yeah, I would say that as, as I've often said, well, maybe I haven't said it exactly this way, but. Cruz, it's evident in this little food fight that Cruz has a lot of IQ points on Donald <laughs> Trump. I mean, Donald Trump really does revert. He's got a default position, right. which reminds me, I'm not even say his name, he might still be alive, of some really mean kid in the fourth grade. <laughs> that just uh, got nasty. That would just would beat people up and, you know, is the kind of kid who ended up dropping out. And, yep. Except this kid had a dad who had, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. So he, he, gets, to go, he gets to go to front of the class. And, uh, uh-huh. and, no, uh, almost Wharton. Did, yeah. did he go to Wharton? I guess well, Wharton's it's in called Penn. the Wharton, Wharton School the, of Business. Yeah, but that's an undergraduate and graduate program. So he did, does not have an MBA from Wharton. Now, okay, he, he did go there. Um, there's no evidences of vocabulary that he went to no. a really great great school <laughs> like that. But um, well, but he's it's it's really weird how this is destroying. I think the the women's view 
of him if if there was ever a positive view because the the data now shows 75ish percent of women have a negative view of Donald Trump. So how do you win a general election with women not liking you? So Donald Trump cannot win a general election. I mean you know, it's, that, that's yeah. just that's that's it. Period the end. I mean so you you add uh, huge demographic groups, you know, um um women that you mentioned obviously but hispanics how oh. how do you how do you persuade a substantial percentage of people you've called rapists and looters and drug oh. dealers and right. and that you're going to take you know you're going to get rid of 6 or 8 or 12 million people and and do it in the you know most uh uh unfriendly way possible not to mention the destruction of the constitution <laughs> So no, I yeah, he can't win. But getting back to the original question, how you know how are they doing? I mean, the the fact is Trump isn't putting it away, and no. in fact, there's increasing evidence that he's slipping. So it's not going to be put away for many months. We've talked about maybe he's peaked, maybe he's peaked. He definitely has demonstrated he's got a lock on X percent, a percentage, and you you've yeah. always said that. You know, thirty-five percent, and you know, honestly, it's kind of looking like that. Yeah, really, yeah. you look at uh, you know, of course, Utah's an anomaly for many different ways, but he got destroyed. Oh yeah, in in Utah, uh, he won Arizona again, though, because winning winning is relative. There, he won, but he would not have won if there was a consolidated not Trump yeah. candidate. Yeah. And we'll probably talk about Kasich later, but uh, recent poll in California shows even with Kasich in neck and neck, uh, oh, Trump, really? Trump and Cruz neck and neck. Uh, I talked uh, last week with a guy who's been involved in California politics forever, and you know, just deeply knowledgeable about it. And uh, in California, is, it, it's weird for the first time, at least in my life, it could come down to. California. That's, well, you're wearing uh, your L.A. hat. Right? I am because your we're going to talk. You're going to ask me later what <laughs> other things we need to talk about. Yeah, I better we'll write that, that down. Yeah. Okay, I have a feeling it's going to be baseball. But uh, but uh, yeah, uh, Cruz is on the ground. California is technically a winner take all, but Ooh. it's actually congressional district by congressional district. So you know, Cruz can pick out. He might even deny him the whole thing. That's, oh, that's yeah. a possibility. But definitely there are enough congressional districts down there where uh, Cruz could do very, very well. Yeah. So I don't, I, I'm more and more confident that Trump is not going to get the magic number. Do you think Do you think Cruz will be able to stop him in Wisconsin? Because that's that whole north kind of east swing they're saying. In Wisconsin, uh, I think the last poll I saw was Cruz is slightly ahead. Hmm. If, if not, they're very close. And in Pennsylvania, Kasich looks like he's moving. The he's momentum is going there. So if you deny Trump those two states and you concede New York, he'll, he'll get New York. Yeah, um, and New Jersey. And- you, you're, you're not – you're still not seeing a pathway to 1237 for him. So then it gets to the dreaded uh, convention, and now we keep hearing about Paul Ryan. So what is that about? Like, how on earth do they do people think Paul Ryan would even get in the game? Is that a second, third ballot vote or yeah, what? I'm sorry that our listeners can't see my eyes rolling. Yeah, you're totally uh, – <laughs> you know – 
there's there's a not Trump movement. Right. There's a pretty big not Cruz movement. Yeah. And, and lots of people are still dreaming about some not Third Trump, not Cruz, it, yeah. uh, you know, some magical thing happening. And I know Carl Rove wrote a really interesting piece. There have been other pieces about these contested conventions in the past. Um, and I'm big on history myself. Yeah, but you love this it. is different. This is different. You you're going to have you know probably three quarters, two thirds. A big chunk of the delegates committed to one of two people for whom nobody to the left of them is number two. Yeah. And so they're, 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 the, all those delegates are not going to wake up and think, man, John Kasich, he's our guy. He or is. Or Paul the, Ryan, right. who hasn't gotten bloodied at all right. in, the, in, in the primary process. I just – it's going to be Cruz or it's going to be Trump. Yeah. That, so get rid of the other ideas. Yeah. Yeah, that, well, that's my thinking. I, I, Unless, I, of course, this year I've been wrong on, on almost every everything. So. Well, I, I think everybody has been. <laughs> this is such an anomaly. And um, does so the idea though is then there's a ballot, and if if Trump doesn't take it in the first round, then you can start swaying these delegates apparently, right? And apparently, Cruz has an in with a lot of. These state delegates, right, right. The way delegates are chosen, of course, it varies state by state. Uh, but in any case, they're in virtually all states. They're bound on that first ballot. But not everybody who gets elected to be a state delegate is an in the bones uh, Trump or, for that matter, Cruz person. Hmm. And uh, for most states, that's going to be true. But. You know, there is a little bit of a Venn diagram between Cruz and Trump in yeah. terms of who might support them. There's like there's no Venn diagram between, say, Trump and Rubio or <laughs> Trump and Kasich. Right, right. Uh, but there is. They there might is overlap. There, there is a, there, you, could, you could see some Trump people coming away after that, that first ballot. Hmm. Um, that's a big deal. I mean, because that's why really you want the organization, right? Because the organization – is who could be working a lot of these delegates right now. And there's lots of evidence that Cruz is outgunning Trump huh. on that. Maybe you've already talked yeah. about what happened in Louisiana. But so Trump won Louisiana, but Cruz has more delegates in Louisiana because of the quirks of how they actually choose delegates on the ground. Uh, Cruz is coming out with uh, with more delegates there. Does So let's say that uh, Cruz somehow comes in, gets more delegates through the voting process at convention – what what happens to – and this is the big talk – what happens to the voters when they have to go vote in the general election? Are they going to support a cruise, those that back Trump? I think lots of them will. I think lots, a lot of them will. That, that's why I say I think it's, it's going to be Cruz or Trump. Yeah, Trump because they've got uh, these, this big pool. Because they're you – know, uh, Though Cruz looks more establishment, although I don't know how you look more establishment yeah. than Donald Trump. Just right. just for the record, guy who's bought and paid <laughs> politicians so much all money. over, right. you know, all over. Who's who's rich? Who's a New Yorker? Yeah. But um, Cruz has a very strong um, uh, argument that he's the not establishment guy, and for sure. Most of the establishment have hated Cruz. I, I saw a great headline. I didn't remember what it was, but it was like the it was the establishment hates Trump, but they fear Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> so he's got uh, he's got a pretty strong argument to a lot of those same folks that you know send me to Washington, and actually I will be the surgeon to the wrecking ball of uh, <laughs> of uh, Donald Trump. You know what? L- listen to this. Uh, listen to this clip um, about this is Lindsey Graham 
on Kasich being a better candidate than Cruz, except he has to support Cruz. Ted would make it a competitive race. Would he make Trump. a good president? Uh, I think he'd make a better president than Trump, and I think he'd take the country in a new direction than other than Clinton. Would he make the best president? No, I don't think so of all the people running. John Kasich wins by 11 points against Hillary, so he's absolutely out. Would Nobody John wants to lose a like that. Better president? <laughs> Would John Kasich make a better president than Ted Cruz? I think so. Yeah. And yet Lindsay's supporting well, with, his, you know, you know, the, with his nose plugged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ted Cruz. One of the oldest statements, obviously, is politics makes strange bedfellows. <laughs> and, you know, if you really, really don't want Trump, there's no point in supporting Kasich. Right. There's just no point. Right. I, I, I like Kasich yeah. a lot myself. But, but you know, the, you, you, you get down to it and you say uh, – now, maybe what you have is you have a, a Cruz-Kasich ticket. It, of course, that's – in, in the mouth of everybody who likes Cruz or who likes Kasich, that's like it's hard to even yeah. mouth Imagine those that. words. Right. But there have been plenty of cases in history yeah. where uh, even even stranger, you know, more hostile groups. I've said a lot of times on your show, no one the day before, the minute before it happened, no one could have imagined a Kennedy Johnson ticket. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. So there. So so this isn't this isn't. I mean, it could be Kasich, especially if Kasich starts polling really well up north, right? right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, there you heard it from the, the insider's mouth. Joe Cannon, we'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, see the good in the world, if there is any in the political process right now. Stick with us. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us today, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. He's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, and you can find that at fuelfreedom.org. It's an organization that is has a mission to lower your fuel costs and improve the marketplace here in the United States so that uh, you get a better deal with your on your fuel. Hello? And find different ways to uh, lower fuel costs. So Joe's taking on that battle for all of us. You can find out more information about that at fuelfreedom.org. Joe Cannon, welcome back, my friend. Thanks for having me, Matt. Thanks. Joe's teaching me all about the neti pot to clean out my sinuses. I'm going to do it. It'll help you. I will. Yeah, yeah. Get over the grossness of the idea. No, and, and I, I'm, I'm totally yeah. fine with that. I just don't like waterboarding. And apparently this was the grandmother of waterboarding. <laughs> Yeah, you, you'll, you'll thank me. This will change your life. That's why uh, Donald Trump is so for neti pots and waterboarding. It's <laughs> right. so sad. Hey, um, talk about what's going on with Bernie Sanders. All of the Democratic senators are like, get rid of him. Get rid of Bernie. Because Bernie, you're done. Get out. But then all of a sudden he wins four out of the last five Western states. Now, he's not going to win, is he? You, you know, I, I'd say there's no pathway for him to win. Uh, but if you're Bernie Sanders, and if you're any politician, yeah. you really like crowds. And guess what? He attracts. He, they love him. Uh, phenomenally large and boisterous, and crowds that, that love him. Yeah. So if there's no other reason for him to keep you going, that's the Just reason. Go. You're, you're, you know, you're in your seventies. You're kind of old. And you're thinking, wow, these kids like me. That's a good thing. But the other thing is that I think is 
genuine on his part. He thinks he's leading a movement from the right, left right. to you know keep the party pure, and um, so yeah, so he's he's winning, and at least in you know as, as everyone points out, it's very geographically driven. It's also that you know uh, Clinton hasn't really campaigned as much yeah. in a lot of those states, just kind of conceding some of that territory. She's going to come back in the big states, California. She's going to annihilate him. Uh, but he's staying in there. And I think the, it's a measure of fear. So you could ignore Bernie for a long time. Right. Because, uh, nothing's right. really going to happen. But now all of a sudden he's you know, has still in there. And yeah. so a lot, of, a lot of these guys are going, hey, hey, no. It's, <laughs> it's time to button things down. Button things up here. Let's get let's – get, But that's uh, only going to happen with – you know, when she gets enough delegates, right? She's she needs enough, right? But she also has the super delegate thing, and that's one of the things Bernie's pushing on is the fact that he's he might be able to start swaying some of these super. Well, some of them have. I, I mean, I saw over the weekend, you know, a couple of interviews with some of these super delegates, but it's a it's like twenty. I think oh. I think he's got twenty yeah. and, and, versus four hundred, yeah, and whatever. I mean, she she owns the super delegate thing because they know. Unlike us, unlike the, I should say us, unlike the Republican yeah. side of things, uh, we know a lot of people know Trump can't win, but somehow they'd rather feel good than win. Uh, uh, the Democrats are going to make that mistake. They 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 know that Bernie cannot win. There right. is no right. scenario for him. I guess to the win. only scenario is if something major comes out about Hillary, an indictment or whatever. No, but I'm talking about the general election. Oh, the general in, election. in other words, yeah, he, there's so, no way he so could the, win the that. party is saying. No, we're not going to we're not yeah. going to do George McGovern again. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do Michael Dukakis again. Run somebody who is simply not electable huh. uh, outside of the District yeah. of Columbia and and um, Vermont, I guess in this case. <laughs> yeah, um, he would nail Vermont though. Um, is so, and then the other big debate is about the debates. Bernie wants some more debates. Hillary's like, nah. No, I think she's done with debates. <laughs> and the party, you know, people complain about it, the kvetch, um, you know, it's, it's horrible, but the party's behind her. Right. Uh, in, in a much, in a, in a way that Cruz or Trump wishes the party were behind either oh. of them. It's so hard, I think, for the GOP to get, I mean, it's because it, it has dropped to a level of discourse that is just, is it unprecedented? Have you ever seen the whole, you know, National Enquirer involved in a presidential debate like this or well, these, they, they this were, tweeting they, back and forth about the wives? Well, you know, there was um, uh, oh, John Edwards. That's <laughs> that, true. That was a National Enquirer. Yeah. If you go back into history, you can pick many, 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 many elections that are – just as vicious, where there are attacks on wives, on spouses, on girlfriends. They're, they're, That's they're, right. they're, uh, Gary Hart. Yeah, but I mean, I'm going back to Cleveland and Blaine. Uh, <laughs> you, you go back to, to Adams and Jefferson, you know, there's some really horrible things yeah. that are, yeah. are said. So, so this it, it's, still, it's still, in, in, it's embarrassing and it's wrong and it's bad, mm -hmm. but it's also... What do you think about Trump's um, – he's getting a lot of backlash about his lack of foreign policy experience well, and knowledge. Of course, yeah. You know, someone asked him, who, 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 who are you going to consult with? Who's, who's your, who are your advisors? And he goes, well, first off, me. 
Yeah, because I mean, I'm smart. I'm pretty smart guy, so I'll consult with me <laughs> on on that. Well, okay, uh, he clearly has no knowledge, no knowledge base at all, yeah. other than schoolyard thuggery. Well, okay, if I'm bigger than you, I'm just going to beat you up, and that's the end. None. That's the end of the game. You know, that's just. Uh, I have strong disagreements with plenty of uh, foreign policy decisions. Yeah, but. I don't think the people who are making them are stupid. I, I think they might be wrong. His conclusion is, well, they're just all stupid. Yeah. He has, he has some sort of second-tier folks now, quote, advising him. The, the question is, is he just naming them or does he actually really want does to he, take advice from anybody? Yeah, does he consult yeah, for and, real? And there's plenty of evidence that the answer to that is no. Right. Is he – do you think he's just winging it? I mean because at some point – you can't wing this anymore, right? You got to well, take this seriously. For, it's worked for him pretty well yeah. to wing it to date. And so the answer is I think his strategy – now he may calm down. I mean the one little evidence that was interesting, you know, he gave a speech to APAC, the American Israel Political Action Committee. And um, it's the it was the only speech that's different from any other speech he's ever given. And that's because – Someone oh. wrote it. I kind of doubt he yeah, wrote it. Yeah. Someone wrote it, and he read it from teleprompter. Interesting. And it was a pretty good speech. I mean, I, out right after, like minutes after, I was talking to a different uh, uh, some Jewish friends, yeah. and they were they, they thought it was it. great. They they liked it. Cruz gets up and says essentially the same thing, uh, but he doesn't connect as well huh. as Trump did. So he shows that there's at least a possibility that when it gets down to it, because he wants to win, yeah. and he's not so stupid that he knows you've you got to do something's different. Right. He's, he can't win with the base of people he has right now. It's a, it's a, it's a minority of a minority party. And, oh. um, it's, it, um, it seems like he keeps saying, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be better. I'll get better. I'll be presidential. Soon I'll be presidential. Once I win this thing... I'll be presidential. Let's say he did win. Do you think he could um, – could he unify the party? I mean can, it, can he unify he's, – because he's been so divisive. Can he unify it? So there's kind of a 50-50 answer to that question. There, there, there are people who will say as you know, even Lindsey Graham might say this. Well, Trump is better than Hillary. Mm-hmm. So there will be a set of people who say that. But there are plenty of Republicans who are saying, okay, this is just the – maybe not the end of the party, but it's it, – there's a clear fissure, a clear fraction, yeah, right. fracture here. And and a lot of people will stay home. So you've got the people who will affirmatively vote against him, the uh, various subgroups, and then a lot of Republicans staying home. There's, in my view, no scenario in which – as you pointed out earlier, I guess Hillary could get indicted that would be know, a about month before it. the election. but. But um, yeah, I just, Trump can't win the general election. Yeah. So what happens to the party after this? What? How does the GOP? Because they, you know, they they keep saying after Mitt lost, they they were going to reevaluate, and every time they're reevaluating. But this is a major party shift. Yeah. The 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 party is made up really essentially of three blocks. So you've got real conservatives, you've got libertarians, and you've got populists. And, you know, so that they've had an uneasy alliance for over a century. That, that group, I mean, you can go back and see the roots of this very 
uh, division even in the time of Lincoln. So, and that it comes up in in, in 1912. Uh, you had the progressives, but who were really more like the populist. Uh, they ran Teddy Roosevelt as a third party against a sitting president, William Howard Taft. Wow. And a, a, a guy sneaks in. I don't, I'm not even sure that Wilson got 40 percent of the vote. And uh, so they elect a, a president. Well, OK, what happens is the party will come back together. And the way it will come back together is not a bunch of smart people sitting in Washington meditating. It'll right. be around individuals. It'll be around, I, like I might a say, like a, like a Marco Rubio huh. or, or somebody who could more unify the party and say, look, we have to, we have to win. So I, I don't think it'll be by plan. It'll be like Ronald Reagan. In, in a, uh, the parties need leaders. Yeah. Well, the Republican Party needs leaders. The, De- the Democratic Party has a much more unified base right. than the Republican Party. And, and you're seeing that fracture right now because mm-hmm. Trump represents a big piece of the Republican Party base. And so really you need a kind of a, a known entity player to come in and be this bridge maker. Could be a known person, might be someone not as well known. No one, you know, no one a year ago, a year ago right now, nobody would thought that it, would have thought that everyone's sitting around huh. talking about Donald right. J. Trump. I mean, seriously. Um, but so. if Donald loses badly, then I mean, somebody like a Paul Ryan, if he could succeed and figure out some way to bridge the politics for a while could become this this deal maker. It could be someone like that. You know, I, I don't know in my mind who it is, yeah, but, I mean, but, yeah. it, but it won't be a committee. It'll be a person uh-huh. who, who galvanizes and, and coalesces support saying, look, OK, yeah, there are plenty of divisions between these three sets of, uh, of our party. Yeah. But and Ronald Reagan did it. Ronald Reagan explicitly gave gave speeches on how these to, three groups did he need to get. He didn't identify them exactly the huh. same way, but he he was completely aware and became of a, the a division of and what he needed to do to bring this team yeah. together. So he was very self aware and very That's aware good. of the you know politics on the ground. Now, Joe, really quickly, uh, what do we need to worry about when it comes to L.A.? Well. What you need to know is just the the, the long dark winter of no baseball it's is over. ending this yeah. weekend. So opening day is this weekend coming up, and so are you going to be there? A place I won't be there. No, but Darn it. there's a place of solace that you yeah. can go. The Not national now. pastime. You know, we we can all after a tough you know. day or in the middle of a tough day. Now you can go just kick back and watch ball. Well, like we're on we're on XM Radio right now, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and guess what? You can listen to every single baseball game if you on subscribe XM. to XM. Just sit in uh, your car, Sirius XM satellite. You That's can listen true. to every baseball game all around the country. Joe Cannon, you got it, brother. That's cool. And I hope the LA uh, Dodgers do great this year for you. You need it. I hope so. You need a good year. <laughs> Joe Cannon's his name again. Go to his website, fuelfreedom.org. He's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. Uh, making your uh, fuel costs affordable here in the United States. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, fighting off the cold. I can't breathe. 
You don't even care, Terry. You just got to worry about your health. Yeah. My, my whole family's sick. They've been sick for weeks. Are they? I'm fine. That's because you brought it here. Am I a carrier? Am I? I, yeah. I just don't get the effect. You're I'm like just a infecting pigeon. Everyone. Wow. You're just like a dirty pigeon. <laughs> a carrier pigeon that huh. brings the disease to the Matt Townsend show. I don't know where I got it, but uh, my grandbaby's got it, mm. which is not good. I think I picked it up from her. Yeah. Kids always bring the the heavy duty bugs. Everyone in my family's had it, and um, you know, it doesn't matter. I just. Sure, my head is throbbing. Right. Just tough, sure. Just tough it out. You're fine. Sure, my eyes are watering and I feel like crying. It's fine. And my lungs are burning. But we're here. <laughs> That's why this next guest today is going to be great. Emma Seppala, Dr. Emma Seppala from Stanford University's Center for Compassion and Altruism. She's going to talk to us about getting back on track with the happiness track. The research, latest, greatest research about the science and science of phenomenal lives and relationships, happiness. She's going to teach us how to be happy again. Hmm. Yeah. It's all good. It's good. If I sit on my, my specific spot on the couch, yeah. which is right in front of the TV, I feel good. You feel better? Yeah. Things always seem to look up when I'm watching from that position. I like that spot. That's my spot. Everyone get out of my spot. <laughs> You know, um, it's not about you. It's about me. Uh, but I can't go sit on your spot. No, because then I would be unhappy. Sheesh. As long as you stay away from my spot. Hey. That's where I sit. I've been tracking my uh, sleep lately. Oh, yeah. How's that going for you? It's, it's honestly an incredibly fun app. I'm up to 91% effectiveness. How long do you think you can keep this up? Until I stop. Okay. I will track my sleep till I stop. Because I, tra- I tracked my sleep for a while also. By the way, it's, it's the same every week. I've averaged at least seven plus hours of sleep by tracking it. Mm. If I wasn't tracking, then I wouldn't, so, I would have about five hours of sleep. Towards the end of your night, do you go, oh, I better go to sleep so I can get some, uh, yeah. so I can play this game I'm totally. playing with Totally. I'm trying to kill it. I better get to bed. Okay. But this app, it's incredible and because I'm up to 91% effectiveness. It also tells me that I slept about five hours deep sleep last night. And this is with your phone just sitting on the mattress, right? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Weirdly, I woke up and my phone was behind my nightstand. Hmm. Don't know how that happened. But the alarm was going off and I couldn't find my phone. I think I hit it in the middle of the night. I think I hit it in the morning. Do you have a sleep tracker through your watch? Yes. No. uh, It just – it records and it will tell me through my watch. But no, my sleep tracker's on my phone. I have a full body scan on my watch, pretty much. But is there an app that will work with your watch? Because uh, no. part of part of the problem with that type of an app is the the problem you just said is that when you're asleep, you can knock your phone off the bed, and then it's not tracking anything. Yeah, no. Or if you're wearing your watch, but it's I, right yeah. on you, and it knows if you woke up or fell asleep. Uh, or I don't, I don't think it would work through my watch for some reason. Sleepwalk to the car, went out, uh, and got a big gulp or something. It does. It does notice every time I get up to go to the bathroom. Okay, because I have about twelve of those a night. Oh, <laughs> I think it's because I'm a camel storing fluids. <laughs> 
just to release them as I need to. That's my guess. I was wondering what that hump on the back of your neck was. Oh, well, thanks for pointing out that. (laughs) I mean, a guy has a little hump on the back of his neck. And then the young punk brings it up. What a jerk. If I didn't have a cold right now, I would get out of my seat and walk around this big table and get you. But I know by the time I got there, I'd be winded. You're so lucky I'm sick. Hey, um... How was Easter? Fantastic. Why? Well, my kids are old enough that we sleep in. Oh, that's good. And then we just tell them to sit still for a bit, and then the magic appears, and the Easter bunny (laughs) arrives. The magic. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. It's pretty neat stuff. We uh, I got to went to church. I got to teach a lesson mm. in my church Sunday school class, and then I got the bl- the blessed opportunity to go speak at a like a devotional that night last night mm. on Easter Sunday. Hmm. Who has a devotional on Easter Sunday? People who don't want to celebrate Easter with their family. This apparently. group did, and that was really fun. So I took my family to that, <laughs> and then came home. And held my didn't hold her. I just looked at my grandbaby because you're sick. sick. Yeah. And then I went to bed. And but turned is she on sick? My sleep tracker. She's sick. Well, then what's the big deal? But she's it's got all the, the same. Germs. She's got the cutest little cough. It sounds like this. <coughs> yeah. <coughs> but your mom doesn't think that's cute. So cute. Mom's probably really worried. She's very worried. But she's this kid's healthy. This kid could take Ben. Well, take that's him. Not no, ser- much. no, seriously. Ben's a waif of a human. Yeah, my, my track record isn't very proud. Sure. So what did you do for for the great holiday of Easter? Well, I had to get my boy out of bed and and help him find the, the eggs that were... Did you dye eggs? No. We're doing that tonight. We just have the plastic eggs full of candy. Just yeah. leave those around. We only dye the eggs so that we can then eat them. Yeah, my wife's not big on just having eggs around all the time, so... Really? Me, I when I was a kid, we'd die a bunch of eggs, and then you'd have egg salad sandwiches for about mm. two weeks straight, but that's just me. That is heaven. Yeah. She didn't want to do that, so we go, we go the other way. My kid likes picking – he just likes having the eggs, and it's fun watching him because he's, as he's trying to find eggs, he's busting them open and just filling his mouth full of candy. Well, and, was he just hyperactive the rest of the yeah, day? Yeah, all day. It was insane. Isn't that funny? Like, what does any of that have to do with, you know, Jesus? Well, nothing. But then later we had a – you know, lessons and church yeah. and all that. So all we had that some stuff. fun, and then he had the, you know, the other stuff, hmm. the stuff that probably matters more than yeah, the 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 story about some random bunny that breaks into our yeah, house, like Santa Claus thing. and other things. He's kind of concerned about that aspect of it. These these things that keep breaking into our house. Oh yeah, that's weird. That's smart kid. Yeah, he's more of, seems kind of security conscious. Well, it seems like your family needs an alarm system. Maybe, maybe I told him it's okay. Dad's on it. Yeah. Dad's on it. I but, mean, sure, the house is unstable and insecure. Right. And, he didn't do anything wrong. The bunny just brought you candy. And well, you, I don't know. Terry, I happen to be a Vivint salesman, so if you want that's a fine. security... No, 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 that's fine. <laughs> this hour brought to you by Vivint, bringing home security to your doorstep. No, that's fine. He's just concerned that these, uh, you know, figures in, uh, in society are entering our home. I think I worry more about your boy than you do. I, I don't see most things as being a big issue. Yeah. Because he'll, he'll – I mean, it makes more sense later. So trying to explain to him now was kind of lost on him. Sure. So 
So get out the noodle and pound him. Well, there's that. That's just fun. That's just. <laughs> did you have a noodle fight this weekend? Uh, no, we did not this weekend. Good. Court court appointed. Uh, there was intermediary. No, said no, we shouldn't no, do that. no. There was just there was plenty of of wrestling and roughhousing and all that kind of stuff. Does your wife ever just throw it down and just start wrestling with your boy? No. She's a good woman. Yeah. She has in the past. Has she? Yeah. But mm-hmm. I, I think she's kind of moving away from that. She'll just say, go, go tackle your dad. <laughs> and he just comes and like, you know, does a, that's a flying so elbow what or something. What a cute family. Really, that's a great, and it's good. Your son needs you to wrestle with him. That's great. Right. And it really is. That's a big deal. It's all body slams. and It's cool. That's how I wake him up out of bed in the morning. I pick yeah, him a little up body slam. Drop him. He mm-hmm. likes it. Is that the way he has that swollen liver? Yeah, it's fine. It's it, it'll go down. Swoll- swollen livers is a common, some ice on it. <laughs> a common injury among children. <laughs> Again, no children were harmed in the making of this segment. No. Hey, um, I'm worried. About what? I am just worried about this whole, uh, um, what's the name of the group called? National Enquirer. It's breaking a story on Ted Cruz's love life. Allegedly. Allegedly. They put it out last week. I don't I have no belief in that. I don't think it's true in well, any way, shape, or form. Some people are trying to well, first off it's the National Enquirer, right? They're not trying to be a, like a New York Times or, or a newspaper of record. Right. They're trying to be entertainment at some level. And they've also lost their entire investigative uh Reporting wing, I read over they, the weekend. Oh, they so, had an yeah. investigative reporting Apparently wing. they had that, and they left and went to another magazine. So here's, here's Theodore Cruz's, Senator Theodore Cruz's uh, comments about the National Enquirer story. National Enquirer story is garbage. There you have it. It is complete and utter lies. It is a tabloid smear. And it is a smear that has come from Donald Trump and his henchmen. Which he has no proof of. No, but Donald is pretty tight with the head of the National Enquirer. Just because he's been on the cover. He probably owns it. He might. You know, some shell company. So do you think that Ted should have just not said anything? Because these these are all news cycles, right? And so if you don't respond, yeah. sometimes it's like, eh. Well, it's hard when you, you're on a televised press conference and they ask you a direct question. Yeah. But like the Clintons are on the Enquirer cover every day day okay how but do they, they get just, away with it they just learn to not say anything you just say and eh, it's not real news yeah so we don't deal with that right next question well apparently this th- these are rumors that have been floating around amongst reporters from other uh other outlets who have chosen not to to go to that uh, you know follow that line of questioning that yeah. there's no there's rumors but there's no like witnesses proof there's no proof of receipts or, or anything there's yeah. just Nothing there except the rumor. National Enquirer will publish. They'll pick it no up. No problem. Well, they got aliens. They got, you know, babies. They don't love do aliens. Babies. That's like the star. That's a oh. separate magazine. Oh, I, I've never even heard of the star. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that You're up. You're welcome. Uh, I wonder how Ted Cruz really feels about Donald Trump. When he's losing, when he's scared, when Republicans are uniting against him, decides... To peddle sleaze and slime. You know, Donald is fond of giving people nicknames. With this pattern, he should not be surprised to see people calling him Sleazy Donald. <laughs> see, no one's calling him Sleazy Donald, but but Ted is trying his hand at giving well, out nicknames. He's saying he shouldn't be surprised. Right. If 
He gets called Sleazy Donald. But he wants that to be the nickname for Donald Trump is Sleazy Donald. But I think Lying Ted has already got traction. Yeah. And Sleazy Donald... eh. I'm not calling him Sleazy. I'm just saying... That people might say he's Sleazy Donald. Oh, this is getting crazy, folks. Someday it'll be over, though. And then you'll have a president. Whoever that may be. Bernie Sanders. Hey, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What's going on around the rest of the world we need to pay attention to? Thanks, Matt. Secretary of State John Kerry isn't too pleased with some of the 2016 campaign rhetoric floating around. In particular, he mentioned the anti-Islam and pro-torture stances being hard to explain to global leaders Sunday as he made an appearance on CBS's Face the Nation. Everywhere I go, every leader I meet, they ask about what is happening in America. They cannot believe it. Uh, I think it is fair to say that Uh, They're shocked. They don't know where it's taking the United States of America. It upsets people's sense of equilibrium about our steadiness, about our reliability. Some of the questions, the way they pose to me, it's clear to me that what's happening is an embarrassment to our country. I could see how that could be a little difficult for a Secretary of State to have to talk to foreign leaders when they hear some of the uh, oh, things yeah. being said. So yeah. kind of interesting uh, perspective there. Across Mexico, people celebrating Easter took part in the Holy Week tradition Saturday that involves burning figures representing Judas Iscariot, who the Bible says betrayed Jesus yeah, Christ. traitor. This year, Reuters reports many effigies bore the likeness to Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump. Wow. Who has been notoriously combative towards neighboring Mexico. Did Judas look like Donald? No, but this year they've set Judas aside and uh, <laughs> put a suit on the pinata and lit up Bernie Sanders. Well, or, uh, not Bernie, but Donald know, Trump. Apparently all press is good press. I guess. Even if they're burning you in effigy. The FBI is scheduling interviews with, the, with Hillary Clinton's senior aides when she was Secretary of State, signaling that the Justice Department's inquiry into Clinton's use of pri- the private email server is moving into its final phase. That's according to the L.A. Times. The FBI has reportedly concluded its background work and needs to speak with Clinton's inner circle and perhaps Clinton herself to figure out what the Clinton team was thinking. And while Clinton faces, quote, little risk of being prosecuted, the LA Times reports, the email flap will continue to dog Clinton's presidential campaign and could cause some political heartburn when the aides are questioned. Why would they say that? That it could cause her problems? Well, yeah. I mean, but why would they say she faces little because... She, nobody knows what she faces because nobody knows what the data is. That was my thought, and but this says faces little yeah. risk of being prosecuted. Hmm. They made a weird. special point of including that. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. A little tidbit of knowledge there. Last week, Microsoft unveiled Tay, a Twitter bot, so a program that is on has a Twitter account. So when people send a, a tweet to Tay, then uh, the the computer program interacts with that person who just uh, sent them a message oh right oh the computer does yeah it's like an automated artificial intelligence there okay uh yeah okay <laughs> so it's a twitter bot that the company describes as an experiment in conversational understanding the more you chat with tay said microsoft the smarter it gets learning to engage people through casual and playful conversation unfortunately the conversations didn't stay playful for long pretty soon after tay launched people started tweeting the bot with all sorts of misogynistic racist and as this oh, says donald boy. trumpist remarks and tay being essentially a robot parrot for the internet connection started repeating these sentiments back to users proving correct that the old programming adage flaming garbage pile in flaming garbage pile out it took less than 24 hours for twitter to corrupt an innocent ai chatbot and for microsoft to shut tay down oh geez come on so tay goes out 
innocent, comes back corrupted. They have to shut it down and apologize to everyone and realize Sorry that, that our the inter- Taybot has become a misogynist. Using the internet as your basis of knowledge leads you to having something evil created. Especially when you have a bunch of computer literate people that are trying to you know, uh, play corrupt. Right. And finally, uh, despite, despite lackluster reviews, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, performed well at the box office this week, weekend, bringing in $170 million. Uh, domestically, worldwide, made $424 million. Wow. It also helped deliver the biggest Easter weekend in history, up 13.5% over last year's record level, which was fueled by uh, the movie Furious 7 last year. Not bad for a movie that had such horrible ratings. The reviews were uh, were bad. The uh, critics did not like the movie. And yet they killed it. See? And everybody thought having a robot bot Tay was bad. Yeah. You can have a bad film and still kill it. Oh, well, what do you do? We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to be talking about Getting on the Happiness Track. It's a new book by Emma Seppola, How to Apply the Science of Happiness to Accelerate Your Success, straight out of Stanford's uh, University's Center for Compassion and Altruism Research. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, people generally have the misconception that in order to be successful, they have to postpone their happiness. Ironically, what research is showing is that happiness is the fast track to success. If, instead of overworking and burning out, you take time to relax, to cultivate calmness, to stay present, and to be compassionate to yourself and others, you will prove uh, to be more um, successful more resilient to stress, and more influential in your work. And uh, that is, uh, those are the uh, results that come from the work Emma Seppola is doing. She's the author of The Happiness Track, and she's here with us this morning to teach us a little bit more about how creating a life of happiness will enable your success. Um, Again, Emma Seppola, welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. Good to have you back. Thank you so much. Good to be here. And it, and it sounds like you got the book done, uh, The Happiness Track, How to Apply the Science of Happiness to Accelerate Your Success. Congratulations on that as well. Thank you so much. Very kind of you. Talk to us about um, what you're finding out. I mean, we do sometimes think that it's either or, right? Like either you're going to be, you know, out there successful and productive and, you know, get, you know, get ahead of the pack or you're going to have to be happy. But in your book, you say it's, it's not, a, it doesn't always have to be a trade-off like that. Yes, we have the misconception that in order to be successful, we have to burn ourselves into the ground and um, that we just have to pay the price uh, through high stress levels and, and so forth. And yet, if you look at the research, uh, we're at our most creative when we're in a relaxed state of mind. We're at our most focused um, and we have the most willpower, you know, effortlessly if we are more uh, more calm and if we take care of ourselves. It's, it's very interesting, no matter how you look at it, uh, we actually have our greatest potential when we are taking care of ourselves and feeling good. Huh. We're more charismatic, we're more focused, we're more productive. Uh, we have better relationships with other people and we're more charismatic. It's like we have 
Yeah, we have more. We're more in tune with who we are. We're probably more. We are more aligned to who we are. So, so what happens? Where did we get off track? Why? Where did we ever think that you need to kill yourself to get ahead? Why is that even happening to so many? It's the myth that's out there, and so everyone is doing it, and we're seeing everyone around very stressed. Running from here to there, technology has increased the pace of our lives. So we're being pinged all day long from our phone, from our text messaging. No matter uh, what it is we're doing, whether we're at work or in our personal life, things just seem to be moving at a faster pace. And so we feel like the only way that we can just move faster. Ooh, Emma, we're losing you on your phone line. Um, uh, we, we you kind of keep coming in and out. So if if maybe um, I don't know if you're moving around there, but. It's, it's, so technology's running us, technology's pushing us, and um, Correct. and then I guess that's what happens, huh? We we end up kind of falling prey to whatever is the most urgent starts to run our lives instead of whatever the most important is. That's right, and we're seeing everyone else do that as well. So we've bought into this view, but if you look at the research, if we actually took more time uh, off completely, so what we're doing is we're working... At work, we're working at home. We've got our cell phones under our pillows or right next to our heads. We wake up, we check email, and so forth. That's become just a normal thing to do. And yet, if you look at the research, we're actually more engaged and more productive, more focused at work if we actually completely disengage when we're not at work. Hmm. So uh, although it may seem more productive to be doing work emails at home, it will be more in the long run, you're going to do better, be more focused and get more done when you're at work if you actually disengage, which will also contribute to your well-being and happiness. Yeah, it's that ability. It's, it's true. We, maybe we think we're we think that we have to have this constant flow of it. But I guess really disconnecting and disengaging from uh, our work, it probably allows other creative juices to flow, which eventually they come back and we can use them in our work. Is that how that works? Absolutely. So we know that we're most creative when our mind is in delta wave mode, which means when it's completely at rest, even idle. It's that moment right before sleep. That's why we get our sometimes our most creative ideas when our head hits the pillow and we're like, oh, my goodness, why didn't I think of this earlier? Hmm. Or when we're in the shower, that proverbial idea, uh, you know, aha moment in the shower. That's I, I had it just the other day. I couldn't I couldn't figure out this thing I was going to be teaching. And I just went to bed. And I had that kind of going on in my mind, but all night I remember kind of thinking about it on some level. Woke up in the morning, had the idea. It was right there. There you go. That's right. And and right now if you look at what CEOs value most and what they're looking for most in the incoming workforce, it's creativity. Of course, you know, the big buzzword out there is innovation, disruption, etc. And yet here we are trying to focus all the time and work, work, work with the idea that we're going to come up with the next big innovative breakthrough. And yet the secret to, to that kind of creative genius is actually taking time to be idle, to relax completely. Is it, I mean, I guess this too is the old, it's a new model of how we see our people, right? We, I guess, kind of through the industrial revolution, we used to just see people as interchangeable cogs. But now in the information age, you, people are more like a free agent and if we want to keep these free agents working, uh, we probably need to know how best they work. That's right. And that's why we're also seeing that people 
are most productive and most loyal to a workplace when that workplace is a positive place, characterized by compassionate, kind interaction. We spend more hours at work than we do at home, and yet sometimes we feel people feel that their employees are, again, like you said, cogs in the system. But no, when you have that human touch at work, not only are you happier and your employees are happier when you're able, you know, when, uh, but you, are, you yourself also benefit from those positive interactions. So those are some, you know, breakthrough new findings, which really don't, they really are very intuitive to us. And yet um, it hasn't, that hasn't been the approach. Yeah. Common sense, not common practice. Let's take a, a break. We're speaking with Dr. Emma Seppala, and we got to take a break and come back. She's, she's going to have to wrap up pretty soon, but we want to make sure we get uh, some more uh, questions to you, Emma. Emma, we'll take a break, come right back, continuing this discussion about the happiness track, folks. And remember, this isn't, this isn't just feel-good stuff. This is coming from the director of Stanford University's Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education and the author of The Happiness Track. Folks, it's, it's research-based and um, from one of the great universities in the United States. So be real. This is, it's time to get our lives back and get happy. We'll be right back, folks. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are speaking with uh, Dr. Emma Seppala, uh, Science Director of Stanford Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education, author of Happiness, uh, The Happiness Track, How to Apply the Science of Happiness to Accelerate Your Success. Uh, Dr. Emma Seppala, welcome back to the show. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Good to have you. Talk to us about uh, stress because... You know, not all stress is bad either, is it? I mean, isn't there some good stress that we need to have in our lives that also enhances maybe creativity? Absolutely. So stress is actually the reason we're alive. It's what propels us across the street just a little bit faster when we see an oncoming car. Or um, it, it really is if we get a surgery, the stress response is what helps our bodies fight and recuperate. Hmm. However, we've gotten used to the fact that uh, we need to be stressed all the time. We have this idea that in order to be productive, we need to be running on adrenaline, literally, and that's why we over-caffeinate, we wait until the last minute to get things done, we over-schedule ourselves. Um, this has become common practice. And yet what, we, what we're doing is we're actually um, constantly living in fight-or-flight mode. And whereas, like I said, good stress, short-term stress can really help you. For example, it can really help you get through that deadline. Over the long period, chronic stress just wears you out. And people are wondering why they're so exhausted when they come home, why they have no energy, why they need to drink more and more and more caffeine. But actually what we're doing is because we're completely exhausting and burning ourselves out. And there is a better way. And that's why I wrote the happiness track, because I saw that happening all around me in these very high-achieving, high-performing universities and Silicon Valley. And I thought, you know, these are great minds, amazing potential, and here they are burning out. Hmm. And... Um, so that's why in the happiness track, I have a whole chapter devoted to resilience, which is, you know, again, you can't do anything about the demands coming your way. But the, the thing is, you can be more resilient. You can make your nervous system more resilient to those demands. So you're not constantly in fight or flight. You can also learn to manage your energy better hmm. by not constantly being in fight or flight, but still be at optimal performance. 
I love that. And because as a guy that runs on fight or flight a lot, um, you you also talk about in the book about um, that we, we need to also focus on our efforts, not just our strengths. I mean, th- there was a big movement about the strengths movement, know your strengths. But in uh-huh. your book, are you talking about disavowing the strengths kind of movement or just managing your effort better? Really? When we take care of ourselves, we actually have all that it takes to perform at our best. Like I said earlier, when we actually take time off, we're more creative. We become more engaged at work. When we take care of ourselves, um, for for example, a lot of people believe self-criticism leads to self-improvement. The research shows no. Self-criticism leads to absolutely self-sabotage. It's nothing more than actually shooting yourself in the foot Hmm. in terms of your potential. And that's where self-compassion comes in. Again, it sounds soft. It's not. There's a lot of hard data to back up that if you treat yourself as a friend, you actually are more resilient. You learn in the face of failure. You grow from your mistakes. Um, so, again, what I'm, what I'm trying to get across in the happiness track is the idea that if you take care of yourself really well, if you take care of others, if you take some time off, you will have the optimum. Uh, you'll be able to perform at your, at your best. And um, so, you, you, so it's not a question of strength versus no strength. What I'm saying is that we all have the potential for creativity. We all have the potential for charisma. All we need to do is tap into it. Hmm. And, and really, it's so many people wear this kind of stressed out, neurotic, um, uh, workaholic as a badge of, I guess, honor. But you're saying it's just a sign. It's a red flag that they're going to implode, I guess. We're seeing 50% burnout across industries in the United States. We're seeing that 70% of the U.S. workforce is disengaged. We're in a time of crisis. And so, yes, it's normal. We think it's normal to live in the stress that way. We think it's normal to over-caffeinate every day. There's absolutely nothing normal about that, actually. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see a giraffe doing that in nature. (laughs) Correct. In fact, some animals, if you gave them caffeine, they would die. You know, it's, it's very strong. And yet it's, it's a drug of choice. We don't even think of it as a drug anymore, but it is. And, and, and really, but it's, it's up to us. I guess part of this is you're trying to create a movement, an education-based movement, to shift away from the fact that you have to stress yourself to death to be successful. Instead, just, you know, be, just find – it's not even just like find peace. It's just be your best self. Calm down. Relax. And let your na- your natural success take over. That's correct, and yet that can be very difficult for many of us because we're so used to living in fight or flight, and we're like, that sounds all great, but I'm a mom of three, and I'm working, and I'm single, and I've got a lot going on. Yeah. For example, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've worked with arguably the most stressed individuals in our society, veterans coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan with high levels of trauma and anxiety, insomnia, and so forth. And within just a week's worth of time, we did, uh, uh, we used the breathing interventions, an all-natural breathing intervention, and were able to reduce their um, stress levels and trauma levels to normal, uh, to, to, to a normal place. And what I, one of, that's one of the things that I describe in this book. So I'm not, I'm not just giving some great ideas with no practical advice. I really want people to take away something that they can use every day. And breathing is an extremely powerful way to tap into the opposite of the fight or flight, which is the rest and digest, so they can immediately calm down. And that is, um, that is one very powerful technique, for example, that I describe. And talk, just talk about the breathing for a second, because what is it that happens to the breathing when we are in fight or flight? When we're in an anxious state or an angry state, our breath 
quickens and it, it, it gets more short and it gets more rapid. On the other hand, when we're calm, when we're happy, our breathing is deeper and it's slower. Now, that's something we can experience every day. What we don't know is that research shows that if you change your breathing, you actually change how you feel. So if you deepen and slow your breath, you actually are going to start to feel calmer. For example, we know that on the inhale, the heart rate accelerates, and we know on the, on the exhale, it decelerates, it slows down. So when we take longer, slower, deeper breaths and lengthen our exhales, we start to calm our entire nervous system down from the inside out. Hmm. Isn't that amazing? And that's, I mean, I feel it when I do it. Just yesterday, my wife was like, why are you, why are you, uh, what was the word, like sighing? And I'm like, I'm not <laughs> sighing. I'm just breathing. I, I'm taking a big, deep breath because I need to calm down. That's exactly right. We have these innate tools, free innate tools within our nervous system to both maximize our energy and decrease our stress and and thereby decrease our burnout rate. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's just one of the techniques I describe, but I, I really care about this topic, which is why I wrote the book. I've seen too many amazing people burning out. Oh, yeah. I myself started to feel it. And I thought, you know, when I looked at the literature, I was like, we're doing this all wrong. And that's why I wrote the happiness track. I love it. I know you got to go. Um, so I wanted to ask you one more thing. What would you say, Absolutely. other than buying the book, of course, um, what, what's the one thing that every one of us can do today? I guess also other than the breathing today to immediately start yeah. to find more happiness in our lives? Well, I'll give you two things. One, and that's one you may have heard about, is, is this idea of gratitude. Um, the research on gratitude has been really burgeoning over the last decade, but really three times more positive things happen to us every day than negative, and yet we focus on the negative. That's just something the brain does. So if we can just do a simple exercise of remembering a couple things that we're grateful for during the day, or just looking around, pausing, and just remembering, wow, I am so lucky. I'm in a car. My heating works. I had three square meals today. I was, you know, I got to sleep eight hours. Like, just the basics. There is so much we can feel grateful for. So that's one thing. The other thing is service. If you do an act of service, of kindness to anyone, it could be the cash register person, it could be your colleague, it could be your neighbor, you will not only make them feel better, you yourself will feel better. And that is something that's one of the best kept secrets to happiness that we have not always tapped into and that we should, not only for ourselves, but we'll also be making the world a better place at the same time. Good stuff. Good stuff. Very basic, though, huh? But really, research research founded now. So Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you. track is completely based on research. Every point I make is heavily backed up, for sure. Oh, that's beautiful. Emma Seppala, great work on the happiness track. And uh, thank you so much again for being with us. And good luck with the release of the book. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you. Take care. Again, Emma Seppala. Yeah, great stuff. The book's called The Happiness Track, How to Apply the Science of Happiness to Accelerate Your Success, straight out of the uh, Stanford Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education. Uh, Really, so if you're feeling burnt out, exhausted, stressed to the core, and you want better results in your life, it's probably time to take a break. I know it is for us. We'll take a break, come back, continue this discussion of happiness and uh, give you more tools, more information right here on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. 
according to Dr. Emma Seppala, 50% of um, current employees in the United States are experiencing burnout. 70% are disconnected. They are they're not engaged is what the research would term would use. They're just not actively engaged in their job. And so uh, it, it, you know, it creates a pretty basic question. If 70% of the workforce is disengaged and you're the only one engaged, would that not just make you more burnt out? Yes. If you're the only one doing the work. I think it would. I think you'd see everyone else doing half effort or just not working at all, not even trying. Maybe they're not inspired to do anything extra to actually right. excel. And if you're trying to put forth that effort... That could just demoralize you. But you've, now you've been doing your own research, Terry, because apparently you feel very close to this issue. Apparently you feel like you're carrying an undue burden. An undue burden. Here at work. Uh, but you have found that having employees that you work with that don't pull their weight, it's not always a bad thing. This is new research. It's okay. out of Japan. All right. It's entitled, uh, well, the, the article I found is titled, Your Lazy Coworker Could Actually Be Helping by Doing Nothing. Ben, Ben, So I, I've been benefiting you all along. Allegedly. <sighs> oh, boy. So Maybe I, we ought not be talking I would like this. a written apology from both of you, signed in blood. In <laughs> wow. blood? Wow. That's escalated. I'll, yeah, I'll have situation. HR give that to you today. So it says, lazy co-workers don't just exist in the office. It turns out that the animal kingdom has its equivalent of the guy who takes a two-hour break. <laughs> just goes to lunch for a couple hours, comes back whenever he wants to. That's really? Guy. Now you think that evolutionarily that animal would be dead by now. Well, let's see. It says, but rather than being a, a determinant, a, 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 deter- a study by uh, this professor out of Japan found that communities populated by lazy individuals are actually more resilient in the long run. Wow. So the study, which was published in Nature and reported on by uh, NPR, focuses on ants. Okay. According to his research, ants love to slack off. At any given time, about half of the ant colony is just wandering around, not moving, or grooming themselves. Interesting. Even when observed over a long period of time, between 20 and 30% of ants don't do anything you would call work. That is like Ben. At least 20 of the... Th- I think that's a low estimate. Oh, for sure. And he hardly grooms, so I don't know what he's doing. I I wasn't going to comment on the hair this morning, that. but <laughs> I know he just sort of walks in, rolls out of bed, and shows up to work. This Says, is good while, while lazy ants might not serve any purpose in the short term, in the long term, they are not inefficient. The mm-hmm. lazy ants will replace dead or tired worker ants. The same is true of human communities. The uh, professor says he likened lazy coworkers to backup power. Okay. Before, just, yeah. so, so before you go judging the person in the next cubicle over... For taking their third lunch break of the afternoon, they, think of them as backup. So, so in, when you burn out, they can step in and do your job. Well, but or whatever. It, but when you die, I mean, yeah. they'll be I, there. I'm always here to run the show, Matt. When you burn out, well, get ready. I'm about to burn out right now. <laughs> um, it is so. So really, they're just they're they're not necessarily helpful until you're done. It's the second string. They'll step in. When you can uh, do no more. I don't know the logic of that thing is they haven't shown any um, interest in doing anything in the present. Well, yeah. And then will they be able to even do the job? Will they be motivated in the future to step in and, and save the company as 
as the people who have been doing all the work are burnt out and can't function anymore. Well, that's the point that the manager needs to worry about because you can't just have some people. I mean, it always happens. The top performers will probably carry the way, carry mm-hmm. it. But you can't have just a second string because they will never perform like the first string. No. And if it's at the cost of your first string, so this is maybe a management issue. Could be. Because it's not, if you're a worker bee or a worker ant, you're still just going to go work while the others are grooming and messing around. Now, the ants are different, seeing that they, they work for one uh, one queen. Yeah. And they kind of, they all fulfill their role. And uh, when they're done, they're really done in the sense of, you know, they die and they're gone. With, with an yeah. office, it's not really that drastic. Well, and you can't really have someone sitting around not working for too long or it's inefficient. I have been compared to being a queen. Mm. Just sitting in my little hive. Yeah. Waiting for your minions to bring me something. <laughs> Ben's being quiet. Queen Matt. Uh, that's an interesting concept. Do you, I, do you think it holds any weight? No. No. No, I think it does. I mean, yeah, they're a backup. I get that. That's good. But there's no respect there. They're not going to be promoted. But you can see it in you have a new hire and you're trying to train that individual to do a job. Right. And then you have someone who's been there for a few years who can do the job. They're doing the job well. And people after a few years tend to, you know, get antsy and move on. Antsy didn't want to draw yeah, yeah. it. Yeah, that's a good pun. Yeah, a good pun there. Um, but they, they tend to maybe want to move on. You have a backup yeah. that can step in and fill their shoes if there's some reason for that person that's leading the way now to if they're not going to be with your company anymore. But wouldn't it be more valuable if you're the leader to sit there and say, okay, hey, backup. Hey, pal, what's it going to take to make you become a top producer? Because there are people that really just don't want that responsibility. No. They like being on stage crew. They don't want to be on the stage. They just want to, they want to be behind the scenes, and they like that. But I guess part of it is you probably need to keep figuring out what's, what is it going to take to move you to do the job, not just when you, – you not, you're not just an understudy. You're here to – pull the weight yeah i mean you as a, i guess as a manager you can view someone as say the the second string but you can't communicate that to them no it'll shut them down unless their, that really their expectations of what this job could be would be be hampered because you just called them yeah second string. second string see i had a boss that did a great job he had the highest turnover in the company hmm. but it's because he was moving people where they wanted to be so some people in the company, he was kind of the entry-level sales job in a company, and some wanted to be uh, speakers in the company. They wanted to move up. Some wanted to be salespeople. Some wanted just to have a really good recommendation to go to grad school. So his goal was to give you whatever you need as fast as you need it, but I need top performance out of you. Right. And I'll give you whatever you want. If what you want – some wanted more pay – and some didn't care about more pay because they didn't want to be there long enough to be paid well. They wanted to move on. So he'd find out what you want, and then boom, next thing you know, he's moving you along. And, But I guess that's part of the key, too, to human motivation is figure out what these people want. What is the, what, what is the hook, right, that keeps them working? We've got to figure that out with Ben because I'm afraid. Yeah. It is kind of pulling things down, if you will. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we'll but, think about it. We'll have a meeting. 
let's have a meeting about that. But do you think in in, a, in the terms that you're using in this article where you have the guy in the next cubicle with his feet up and he's taking his third lunch break of the day, and can that type of a person be transformed into someone who can help the company? Well, it, I guess— Be an asset in the office. Because, see, I could also see that very guy be a top performer. So if you're if you're the guy with your feet up, kind of a lot slower than everybody else, but you're killing it, that seems to me the ideal— According to what Emma Seppola was just saying, right. you got to have breaks. You got to have an opportunity to rejuvenate. So, if you're a top performer, that's a great attitude. Just feet up, kick back, whatever. But if this guy is feet back, kick, kicked, legs kicked up, relaxed, and never produces anything, I think as a manager, I would try to move him somewhere. Move. Well, I'd try to figure out what's going to be the motivator here. What do we need to do to get you to produce? Because as a manager, I'd much rather have two or three people producing, right? Oh, yeah. You want a team of producers. You can't. There, there used to be a day where you could just hire somebody and they could just skate by like that. It seems like today it's more competitive. Like get some numbers. The workforce has been pared down to yeah. a more efficient and And the data seems model. probably more tangible. I can see who's producing what. And maybe, too, that it's still in, in bureaucracies, there might be able to be a person that just can kick his feet up. Right. But I'm thinking of like a sales force. You know if you're making it or not. And again, maybe it's not a bad problem if they're paying that guy a third as much as everyone else. Somebody just did a thing at Harvard saying that um, an article in, at Harvard Business Review talking about the fact that um, your incomes should all be transparent. All your salaries, everyone on your team should know. They tried this uh, at Google. How'd that work? There was an engineer there that uh, they, they, they have a policy where you just don't talk about it. Like most yeah. places, you don't talk about what you make. And uh, people, there were several people went, went out to a, a gathering after work and they decided they were going to publish it. So they put a blog up, I think it was, and they started oh, wow. publishing it. And uh, forces within the company stopped it. People were fired. Not doing that. <laughs> la, 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 la. But part of it is going to breed this transparency. If I see the guy in the cubicle next to me that's hardly doing any work. But you can see that from a an employee perspective where where you would be for that. Right. But as a manager, that probably I don't know if that would be a a, a good situation as now you you possibly have a, a source of conflict out there on the floor. Right. Where but, you don't necessarily want that. Well, except And then you have to have negotiations with people if they're no, performing better. I totally agree. Except yeah. except then you'd have to get real pretty fast. Because so here's John, and he gets paid $70,000, and he produces X amount, and you get paid $80,000, and you produce X amount. And it's a lot less than John. So tell us what we're supposed to do here. Transparency. Right. Well, but I've been here longer. Well, great. That means you should be producing a lot more than John. This is where, I guess, conversations become a big deal. But one thing transparency does do, that, that my, one of my favorite quotes is, Transparency is the best disinfectant. So if all of a sudden somebody's just, you know, needs a little disinfecting, turn the rock over. That'll start to that'll start to take care of a lot of stuff. Anyway, interesting interesting ideas here in the uh, in the human motivation and at work. We'll take a break, folks. We'll come back, wrap it up. This is our second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Be right back.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend here, your life coach, your guide on the side, battling a virus. It has taken over my face. My eyes, uh, you know, they're burning. Mm. Sinuses on fuego. But I did have uh, Dr. Joe Cannon on earlier today. He's a JD. Juris doctorate, not a an MD, but he did give me the idea of a neti pot. Have you ever done a neti pot? I have not. AKA waterboarding. Not good on uh, filtering liquid through my sinus cavities. Wuss. Yeah. <laughs> Just you know why? Why do you not filter? You filter. That's what your sinus cavities are probably for. Some no. form of filtering. Well, yeah, but not when you're forcing water in one side to flush it out the other. <laughs> Just no. But they're sailing in the water. It's... Right. Totally understand. Yeah. I've gone swimming before, and uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd get out of the water, and you'd have, like, water in your whole system for, like, a week. Yeah, I hate that. And it's like you can hear, you can feel it shaking around in your head. And you're yeah. like, oh, this isn't right. <laughs> you feel waterlogged. Yeah. And I, I just have a feeling that an eddy pot would leave me with uh, sources of water in places yeah. that it just does not need to be. Well, they call it a neti pot, which is weird, right? Like, I mean, mm. you'd think they'd have a better name for it. There's probably a reason that Sinus it's called neti. cleaner. Or, or maybe someone would have figured out how to put some sort of a, uh, a power washer attachment to it or something. <laughs> but it, but this 25 pounds per square inch. Neti pot brings back this image of, like, this really wonderful old housekeeper named Neti. Mm. Neti, where's the pot? And she'd just come clean your sinuses out. You know, and yeah. then then you'd have to go to the outhouse behind. Maybe, the house. maybe watch a YouTube video or two before, just to make sure you're looking yeah. appropriate when you're using the said product. Yeah, it Water. is. It is kind of a weird concept. Well, I did. I looked but up Neti Pot, and then the next thing I see are them. You know, people interrogating terrorists. With you will tell us board. the truth now. Yeah, not the Neti Pot. Um. I've people it's swear bad. by it though. They swear by it, and they swear doing it. <laughs> Maybe I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna go buy a ceramic pot. Ooh, it's gonna be great. Get it monogrammed. <laughs> this is mine. This is my custom made neti pot. Hey, uh, parents apparently had a little Easter egg fun that turned into not fun at the Pez headquarters. This is crazy. Parents were upset when an Easter egg hunt turned into shoving match Saturday morning. This was at the Pez, the you know the famous Pez candy candy dispenser, company. which has always been weird to me. Yeah, because like you pull a guy's head back, and he, a piece of candy shoots out his neck. Yeah, and that's, that's where you get the candy from. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Mom, where's that thing that shoots candy out its neck? <laughs> uh, the, uh, apparently, what happened though, nine thousand eggs were put out on three different fields. The goal was to have staggered starts for each age group. When it came. Time to start at like 1030. The parents just pretty much bum bum rushed the entire area. And it was a free-for-all. Chaos. Chaos. 
They just ran out. Apparently, it started a couple parents just started picking up some eggs. Because if you go to these Easter egg hunts, you'll see eggs just sort of close oh, yeah. by. Yeah, yeah. You just reach out and grab one, give it to your kid. Yeah. And some other parents saw that, so they did it. And then it just turned into, it's just steamrolled into everyone just free-for-all grabbing eggs. <laughs> pushing little kids around. One of the eyewitnesses said parents knocked over children and eggs were stolen out of people's baskets. Peterson said the crowd was like a, it was kind of like locusts. I'm not going to take my kids where they don't consider the safety of my kids in any way, shape, or form. This is audio footage of... Uh, the Easter egg hunt? Of some hooligans at a soccer match. Oh. Probably starting an entire riot. But it's, it's very similar. Yes. Same mentality. <laughs> kids were traumatized. There was a report of an, a kid getting knocked down, maybe trampled Holy a bit. Cow. It just... Blood, Parents went nuts carnage. trying to get their kids an egg. Plus a plus a black eye for Pez. See, and I, I when I was a kid, we went to an Easter egg hunt, and uh, they basically lined everyone up on one end of a field and put all the eggs across the field all the way to the fence. Oh wow! And they just said, "Go, go, and stay then in your lane." Took off, and if you were slow like me, you run all the way to the fence, and there was never an egg for you to pick up. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. So you probably would have done better with the Pez version. Maybe. A free-for-all where the fast kids didn't know what was happening, and I took off first, yeah. It's you always... would have had your parents pushing everybody around <laughs> That's so right. you could get your egg. Yeah, dad could box them out and they yeah. get an egg. Hey, oh, I, oh, get away from my boy. I walked, away, I walked away that day with nothing. This is, this is crazy. You need, a, uh, you need one of those um, golf ball machines where you go pick up the golf balls. Oh, right. Well, golf cart that are in a cage. Yeah, so all the parents can't get to you. You just pick up all the golf, the yeah. eggs. That'd be perfect. Wouldn't that be sweet? Yeah. We, um, I, I heard one person even believed that the Easter Bunny had nothing to do with that event. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like it's that bad. Mm. The, the the Easter Bunny is distancing himself. Yeah. From the Easter egg hunt. The Easter Bunny was alleged to not even have been there. Wow. Disassociated Allegedly. completely. Mm-hmm. Huh. Because he was at the Cruz household trying to mend the family. Well. After Donald Trump. The Easter Bunny has work to do. Yeah. Apparently. (laughs) The Easter Bunny's got a lot of work. When did he turn into a marriage counselor? Oh, no. The Easter Bunny does everything. Really? Yeah. At our house, he's always been a marriage counselor. Okay. He's a great bunny. Ripped. (laughs) Our Easter Bunny's ripped. We noticed that the Easter Bunny, instead of having like dozens of little plastic eggs filled with candy, right, like hundreds, he just kind of lazied out a bit mm. and had about 12 bigger eggs jam-packed. That was at your house? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's like he's getting lazier. Hmm. And like he might have normally- Does it correspond with the age of the children? I don't think so. As they get older, the Easter Bunny gets lazier? No? No, I don't. Is it the age of the parents that it might correspond with? It may have been. I think our Easter Bunny had a torn meniscus. Hmm. That would hamper the Easter festivities. She doesn't hop like she used to. (laughs) Last year, was it a plantar fasciitis? And last year was plantar. Yeah. Wow. I've seen it happen before. This is crazy. So as a couple, the, the bunnies are, they're healing, but- now there's there's no more plantar. There's just a meniscus tear. See, on, at, on, my, at my house, the Easter Bunny realized that they did, didn't do anything until about 1 o'clock in the morning. Oh. I'm like, oh, tomorrow's Easter. Yeah. <laughs> Get the candy. Our, um, we used to have that same thing happen with the tooth fairy. Ah. We had a tooth fairy 
that had apparently had ADHD <laughs> because this we had kids that would have a tooth under their pillow for like a week. Whoa. And then what we found out is that there was a UPS problem. With the delivery? Yeah. Okay. And, yeah, so the tooth fairy, you know, had to work with the union thing, and then it took her a while to get back to our kids. <laughs> and we just showed our kids on television to see there's just a – There's a problem with the – strike. Uh, the shipping, yeah. Unions and stuff. Labor strife always gets in the that's way of kids' my, teeth. That's where my kids learned first about the labor unions. It's it's uh it's good parenting we call that. That's good. Good parenting. Hey, Teaching com- moments. Coming up in a minute we will be talking with Kim Giles about what do you do when you have chronic illness either in you and your family members? How do you find joy when you still have to deal with sickness? And it's chronic. It's not going to go away. Uh, she'll give us some great insight into that. So if you're suffering with you or anyone in your family with that, that uh Stick with us on that. We'll get to that. But first, let's oops. First, let's get to the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the world we need to be paying attention to? Thanks, Matt. Bernie Sanders is preparing to ratchet up his attacks on Hillary Clinton ahead of the New York uh, State showdown coming up the middle of next month that could establish how easily the party could pull itself back together for the general election. The Empire State's April 19th primary looms as potentially determinative a win by clinton who is favored would further narrow sanders path while a loss in the state she represents as a senator or she represented as a senator would embarrass her and hand sanders a rationale to continue campaigning until the final votes are cast in june clinton has a lead of roughly 300 in pledged delegates but sanders narrowed the gap saturday in one of the most successful days of his campaign Uh, The senator from Vermont easily won Alaska, Hawaii, and Washington State. To capitalize on his fresh momentum, Sanders plans an aggressive push in New York. Modeling after his come-from-behind victory a few weeks ago in Michigan, he intends to barnstorm the state of New York as if he was running for governor. Wow, fantastic. So he's talking county by county to try to win this thing. He also wants to have a debate with Hillary Clinton. I would hope very much that as we go into New York State, Secretary Clinton's home state, that we will have a debate, New York City, upstate, wherever, on the important issues facing New York and, in fact, Are you worried she won't debate you anymore? Yeah, I do have a little bit of concern about that, but I certainly would like to see a debate uh, in New York State. This this, this was Hillary's uh, office, her response to that debate question. Right. Apparently. He's, he's hoping to politically shame her into a debate. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to work. <laughs> Maneuvers by Ted Cruz's campaign that would allow the Texas senator to walk away with 10 more delegates from the Louisiana presidential primary and the state's top vote getter, Donald Trump, may end in may end up in court. The reality TV star and the GOP frontrunner who won the state by 3.6 percentage points in March declared Sunday on Twitter that because Cruz's camp is legally using its organizational sway to take away extra delegates, he might have to bring a lawsuit to stop them what? from Donald? stealing delegates. Donald would, Donald would sue? He goes, just to show you how unfair Republican primary politics can be, I won the state of Louisiana and get less delegates than Cruz. Lawsuit coming. That was on Twitter. <laughs> so he is still tweeting. He is tweeting up a storm, and he's threatening lawsuits. That's great. 
Under increasing pressure from major corporations that do business in Georgia, Governor Nathan Deal of Georgia announced today that he will veto a bill that critics say would have curtailed the rights of Georgia's LGBT community. House Bill 757 would have given faith-based organizations in Georgia the option to deny services and jobs to gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people. Supporters say the measure was meant to protect religious freedom, while opponents have described it as anti-LGBT and appalling. Huh. In the news conference today, Deal said he was not reacting to pressure from the faith-based community, of which he counts himself as a member. Likewise, he said he wasn't responding to the business community, which warned Georgia could lose jobs if he signed the bill. That include movie studios like Marvel and Disney, and it also include the NFL saying you guys could possibly miss out on a Super Bowl if you sign that bill. Wow. And he said he's not buckling to uh, business pressure, and he's not buckling to faith-based pressure. What pressure is left in this fight? Uh, his wife. His wife. His wife pressured him to veto the bill. <laughs> you better veto that bill. That's interesting. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I, he, there's a point you just got to quit talking. Yeah. Just be quiet. I, and I think at that point he said too much because that's the only two sides in the fight. And he said neither. He wasn't listening to either one of them. So... <laughs> If you're not listening to those, then there's nobody else in the fight. According to a recent survey, Americans are in love with binge-watching their favorite TV shows. Do you enjoy binge-watching, Matt? I used to until mm-hmm. I had this head cold. Then you can't do it anymore? Nope. Hard no. to focus? And until I got my app for my sleeping. Right. So now I just like to sleep. The survey says that 70% of those surveyed are watching TV shows in a binge format. In this case, binge means five or more episodes at a time. In fact, nearly a third of us admit to doing it at least once a week. Wow. A majority of this ha- binge- binging happens via, uh, via streaming video services like Netflix, Amazon, or Hulu, which should surprise no one. 46% of respondents note that they subscribe to at least one streaming service, while millennials up the ante a bit by tuning into an average of three streaming subscription services. So they own three, you know, the Amazon, really? Hulu, Netflix, yeah. Triumphant, and like... They just watch TV all the time, apparently. When do people work? I don't know. They also spend far more time watching stream programs than actual live TV. That is crazy. When I binge, it's like we watch like three episodes and then I have to move. I feel like I'm a waste of space because at that point it's like two and a half hours. I have to do something else with my day here. I can't binge watch too much or my wife will kill me. She gives me that stink eye. It's insane. Horrible. So apparently binge watching is becoming more and more of a thing. We'll have to work on See that. See what happens. Also, for you, Matt, for later today after yes. the show, yes. give you a little bit of viewing. Uh-huh. You can you a little homework. Yeah. A uh, a competitive eater known as Megatoad. <laughs> yeah. Over the video over the weekend posted a video of him eating two hundred peeps. Oh, I saw that. In under fourteen minutes, doubling his previous record. In the process, he swallowed about five thousand six hundred calories worth of the bird shaped marshmallows. Oh. one thousand three hundred sixty grams of sugar. Wow. That is... He said at one point there was uh, the comment of the sugar has completely coated my mouth, he yeah, said. Yeah, that was a peep show. That was about 10 minutes in and he had to go another five minutes. Of I just... can't eat two peep, oh. two peeps, two peepums without getting sick. Man, can you imagine that many? Blah. Hey, uh, we're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, Kim Giles from Clarity Point Coaching will be... Joining us, stick with us. We're going to be talking about chronic illness. If you're, you or someone you love is suffering through chronic illness, how do you maintain you know, a healthier frame of reference? How do you not get sucked into the dark side 
of, uh, of the illness and instead keep your identity clean and clear and feel healthy and good about your life. Interesting, interesting insight from our uh, life coach, Kim Giles. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, in uh, on the phone with us right now is Kim Giles. I was going to say in studio, but she's not. I can't even see because of my eyes. Um, but uh, Kim Giles has is from Clarity Point Coaching, one of the great uh, life coaches around. In fact, was one of the tw- top twenty advice gurus in the country. Was named that by Good Morning America back in 2010, and also has appeared on uh, all of the shows, all of the morning shows as well. She's a popular life coach, but today she's going to be talking to us about um, chronic illness. When you are suffering chronic illness, how do you not let that become everything you are, your identity, your and, and your total frame of mind um, become warped by your chronic illness? Kim Giles, welcome to the show. How are you, Kim? Thanks, Matt. I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Good, good to have you. Did you have a good, uh, a good, healthy Easter season event party we, weekend? We did. We went south and got out of the snow, and it was ah, great. Did you get a nice no. tan? A little bit. Mm. I, I need, I need <laughs> a little. Better. I need a break myself. I have a cold. I can tell you sound a little stuffy. I am totally stuffed, but I'm going to use a neti pot today. All right. Have you well, ever I'll used a neti some... pot? I have. Have you, have you never done it before? No. Uh-uh. I was against waterboarding until just recently. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, but Is it, it does work. It does? Okay, I'm scared. It does. I might have to... It'll be, uh, it'll be okay. I might have to call your hotline. <laughs> I'll talk you out of your have, fear. Have you walk me through this. So talk to me about yeah. this chronic illness idea. I mean, if somebody... I, I've done a lot of work with, like, Alzheimer's Association, with... Uh, multiple sclerosis, and if you get a if you get a diagnosis, it becomes your life. It becomes everything. It does, and you know I've battled some autoimmune disease um, for about thirty years myself, and so this is a topic I kind of know well. Yeah, and and it can be really discouraging and difficult to stay positive and excited about life when you're suffering a lot of the time. Tough. Well, yeah, and especially for what you because you you teach us that life is a school, right? And so this is just another part of school, but it, well, it could also become your identity. It could become your abilities. It could become so many other things. Yeah, I I do believe that it's part of our classroom to experience that. But the, if life is a school then we are supposed to learn and grow and become a better version of ourselves through whatever trials and challenges we experience, and illness would be no exception. So I have to tell you, remember um, two weeks ago we did this World Hope Cast. Yeah, how did that go? It was crazy to be on air for 60 hours. 60 hours is so long. Yeah. Now I have this new appreciation for how long that is. (laughs) Um, But we interviewed 88 guests from around the world, and a large number of them were people who have gone through some really difficult physical challenges. One 
was a, an amazing lady, Lizzie Smith, that has been battling myeloma cancer for years and years, and it keeps coming back, and she has to go through chemo yet again. And and I was so inspired by some of these people because they have found ways to stay excited about life and happy and positive, even though their life, it's as rough as, as it can be. Sure. And so, they, but they they dig really down and somehow exciting. find it, huh? They they find a purpose, they find a meaning. Yeah, and they decide that they're going to make the best of it, and they're going to create things to look forward to and to get excited about. And and Lizzie was really inspiring because she's very committed to never feeling like a victim, mm. never give in to the self pity and the poor me. And and she really urged people to. To remember, there's always people who have it worse than you. Yeah, that's so it's true. It's all about who you compare yourself to. Right. right. If you compare yourself to people who are, are totally healthy, you'll always feel terrible. But but she would walk around the hospital and see people that were literally dying, and recognize how lucky she is that you know her cancer's miserable, but she'll get through it. Mm. Wow, it really just got it worse. It is. I mean, and it takes a some of that. I guess is just the perspective. I mean, I know you wrote an article that that kind of walk uh, it walks people through different steps, different maybe tools uh, to find some joy in a chronic illness. What what are some of the things you found and that you coach on? Okay, so first of all, you do need to make self care a priority, and you've you've got to set limits on yourself. You know what you can accomplish. I know, I know even. With my help, I am i can't do what a lot of people can do in a day. I can do so many big things, and then i got to pace myself, and I've got to make sure I take time to rest and eat well and exercise, and all of those things have to be a priority, and you can't feel selfish about it because, frankly, if you don't take care of yourself, you'll soon have nothing to give to anybody right. else. Right, yeah, then you're done. So Your do mission's done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's I hard, also, huh? Because with self care, they're they're thinking I don't want to. It's selfish. I don't. I'm a mom. I should. I could always go to one more game. I could always do one more thing. Yeah, but then you run out and you spend days where you can't do anything for anybody because you wore yourself out. Right. So you you have to be really realistic. Um, I I also do think having some goals or projects or some things that you're excited about and into doing that give purpose and meaning to your life are really important, partly to distract you so you're not sitting around just thinking about how awful you feel, but that you've got passion towards something that you're doing and working on that gives meaning and gives you a reason to get up in the morning and that you're excited about. Lizzie was in the hospital, you know, just as as bad off as she gets with cancer, planning her next trip, Mm. where she wanted to go as soon as she was well enough to travel again. And she has so much fun planning these amazing little trips she wants to go on, but it gives her something to look forward to. And we all need that. Oh, totally. That's, I mean, and it doesn't have to be anything big, does it? It could just be like planning a trip or you know, writing down memories or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of... Some projects. Yeah, that's cool. That's great advice. Sure. And, and, and the goals, I guess, too, are they, they stretch you. They keep you always looking forward with some hope to the future. Yeah. And, and I do think it's really powerful to take some time and figure out what are the positives that can be created from this negative 
thing you're experiencing. What, what ways is this making you stronger, making you wiser? How could you use this experience to literally become a better person? And I think it's got to be something that you're, you're literally writing down, you're journaling, you're exploring and looking for the lessons and the perfect in this even really rough situation mm. because I guarantee there are some. I, I've found just the fact that I've gone through some health challenges, I understand suffering that part of the human condition at a different level, and it gives me so much more empathy and compassion for other people. No matter what form of suffering they're going through, I get it yeah. at a certain level. And, and there's a lot of beautiful ways that every challenge changes you. So take stock of those things. That's Be great. Be mindful about what they are. Great advice, yeah. I mean, and again, like you say, your your struggle... It, it did elevate a whole other part of your game in your empathy. It's so it's not all lost just because you're 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 going deep into your pain. You're actually be, probably more able to understand pain. You you do. It teaches you all kinds of things. That's do cool. For one more. Yeah, one more. Okay, um, I do, I do believe that um, that a lot of us do make it part of our identity. Right. right. It, it, we, we almost just I and I try to watch the language that I use, that it's not my chronic illness. It's a, this chronic illness that, you know, is, is around me. But I, I don't let it become who I am in the way I say it. And, and that does make a difference because I'm not owning it as who I am. Hmm. And I make sure that that in my mind, I'm remembering it's a class. I'm experiencing, but it isn't who I am. And we can even just do that in the words we say, the way we express it. Don't say my illness. Don't claim it as much as yeah. just that it's a class that I'm traveling through. Yeah, yeah, th- yeah, this illness. Yeah, you don't want to – otherwise, it, I guess it seems to make it more permanent. It, it kind of does. And, and when we get back, I, I want to talk a little bit more about some of the ways – in society today, we're making people feel like it's a personal failing on their part that they're sick. Mm. And so okay, that's we good. talk about that a little bit. We'll come back more with Kim Giles. And uh, we're talking about chronic illness, how to, uh, how, to, how to learn from it, how to grow from it, how to make it serve you, um, and maybe not necessarily overtake you, maybe not own you. Uh, interesting insight from life coach Kim Giles from Clarity Point Coaching. Go check out their website there, claritypointcoaching.com. We'll come back, continue the discussion. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, living a life with chronic illness or, um, you know, being support for those that have chronic illness, it's something that, you know, inevitably it's going to impact probably every family. And to understand some, some of the tools that might help you get through it in, in a healthier, maybe psychologically healthier way and physiologically as well, as many tools as we can get would be helpful. Joining us is Kim Giles from Clarity Point Coaching. 
uh, great website, ClarityPointCoaching.com. And Kim has put together a list of advice um, about how to manage through this, uh, this chronic illness without letting it become your master. Uh, Kim, welcome back to the show. Thanks again for being with us. You're welcome. So you were talking before the break about the fact that, you know, you don't want this to impact your identity. You don't want this to to take over. What 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 else do we need to focus on to make sure that that we're still the leader of our life? Okay. Well, we we do believe that illness can have an emotional connection, and sometimes in our life we we've, we've gone through things that that could have created some negative emotion and negative energy in our body. But it, I always think it is helpful to not only work on the physical side, but always keep the mind, body, spirit in mind. Um, I, I work on that side myself. I know that 85% of disease is caused by stress. So we definitely want to not only, you know, go to a doctor and take medication and eat healthy and all those physical things, but we do want to stay mentally and emotionally healthy. But one of the things that I have seen kind of affect people negatively over the last couple decades is that, you know, we, we now have so much belief that our thinking creates our experiences in our life that I run into people all the time who are afraid that they have MS or they have lupus and and they should be able to think their way out of it. Mm. They, if they could just harness the law of attraction enough, they could think their way out of this illness. And, and they start to feel guilt and shame around the fact that they have a health problem. They literally are seeing it as a personal failing or a, a weakness. Yeah. And, and I've seen it almost start to gain stigma similar to what a mental illness has around it, which bothers me just as much because people who have a mental illness have a, a, a disease in their brain. Right, right. But, but yet they get treated like they should just be able to snap out of it and think their way out of it. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. It's true. Uh, we've had many guests come on and, and, and talk about your ability to think something, think through this and, and change your energy and change all of these things. And yeah, I've never thought of it that, yeah, some people out there might start to feel like, whoa, what's wrong with me? Because I must not be strong enough to think my way out of cancer. So I actually have a, one of my coaches who's battled MS for many years. And on top of all the physical challenges, she beat herself up so badly that this was her fault, that she she's failing as a human being, that she can't make mm. herself healthy just through changing her thinking. And and what the part that we're leaving out is the, the classroom part. I truly believe that your life becomes your perfect classroom journey, and and the challenges that have developed in your life are here for a reason to help you grow. And I don't think we're always supposed to be thinking our way out of right. them. I think there's lessons in them. They they make us humble. They make us turn to God and trust Him more than we would if you know we didn't have a challenge. They 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 show us how strong we actually are. And and I think a lot of times this is your perfect journey. So I don't want anyone out there beating themselves up with shame or guilt around being sick. Yeah. I mean, and again, and the law of attraction is a great, I guess, concept that 
if I put it out there, except there's other laws that apply, right? Like the law of sacrifice, uh, just the law of learning, the law of experience, the law of um, reap what you have sowed historically. I mean, somebody could smoke five packs of cigarettes a day for 60 years, and you may not be able to talk or think your way out of a lung cancer. Right. Right. I mean, it's there is there are other laws at play. And yet, like, that's why that's why the learning metaphor that you're teaching us, I think, is so powerful, because so learn, learn what you need to learn in this space. Um, I mean, you can totally see how somebody that believes in certain things might also beat themselves up. That's hard. Yeah. Um, one, One other tip I just want to give everybody, make sure that you're not resentful towards or jealous of people who are healthy. There's, there's a really negative energy that you do bring into your life experience if, if you feel resentful or jealous towards people who don't have the issue that you're going through. Hmm. And it, it, it makes a huge difference when you can be in a space of, of trust about your own journey, that you're where you, you're supposed to be, that your illness doesn't affect your value as a person, but, but stay in a place of love towards everyone around you, no matter what they're going through in their perfect classroom. Have nothing but love and, and send blessings towards everyone around you, and you will benefit. Mm. You will stay in a much happier place than if you let yourself get bitter, fall into self-pity and, and jealousy towards other people. And, Matt, working with a couple of my coaches, I've got... Uh, the gal with MS and another gal that battles lupus, we actually put together a a chronic illness um, affirmation document, basically, that we've made available on our website, one of the many free things you're teasing me about. Yep. Um, And they they just, where do they find it? Okay, if they just go to claritypointcoaching.com and go to our resources page, under the, the documents and downloads, there's a chronic illness reading assignment. And basically, it's something that you can either read or you could record it in your own voice on your phone and listen to it, huh. just listen to it a couple times a day. But it's written in a way that will actually sort of trigger these beliefs into your subconscious thinking. And, and we find that just reading that a couple times a day helps you keep that positive, just more optimistic, joyful mindset in trust and love about life as you go through this challenge. And that's just kind of a gift from us to anybody out there that's struggling. That's great. That's and great. It'll make, it, it'll make a difference. Well, yeah, and every little thing can make a difference, too. Clarity Point Coaching, then, uh, is the place to go. Go hit the More tab, and then, let's see, then just the work your way down. Resources. Yep. Client yep. resources, and then you'll find it. Wow. Well, you know what? Uh, we, we appreciate you, Kim. Really, the stuff you offer, the ideas you give, it gives us hope, but it also gives us some real-life solutions. And uh, thank you so much for your great insight. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Take care of yourself. We'll take, a, we'll take a break, thank everybody. Uh, thank you, Kim. And um, take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Find out uh, what they think about the upcoming uh, game with BYU and Valpo uh, tomorrow night. The semifinals of the NIT. Interesting stuff, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Don't take what 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, we're going to throw it down to our good buddies, Spencer and Jerem. Jerem is back. Welcome to the show. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, what's up? Spencer will be here in a minute. Well, Jerem, where have you been, brother? Uh, I've had a cold. I think I caught your cold. Yeah? Yeah. Do I've you have like a cold. Do you, do you have fluids that run from your eyes and your nose and your ears and your mouth? It's not... Wow. Uh, it's it's not been that uh, that crazy, luckily. But oh, so you got the lighter version. Yeah. Hey, um, have you ever used a neti pot? No. What is that? I guess it's it's a pot of boiling, steaming water, water that you um, pour in one nostril and it comes out the other. Sounds amazing. And it it just cleanses your innards. Have you tried this wow. before? No, but I one of our guests today, Joe Cannon, suggested seriously, strongly that I get a neti pot. A ceramic version, and I put some salt water in it and just cleanse my inner vessel. The former politician, Joe Cannon? Yes. He's our Washington insider. And he's trying to get inside me in the neti pot way. <laughs> don't, don't. So I'm wondering, oh. have, have either of you done this? See, I don't know if you heard about the whole spy thing, but uh, the United Nations said we can't waterboard people. And yet, here's Joe Cannon trying to waterboard me with a neti pot. Mm. Yeah, sounds, con- it sounds awful. It sounds awful until you get that good feeling of having cleansed out your sinus cavities. This sounds like something I was trying to teach my four-year-old last night. <laughs> what? Jackson, sometimes it has to hurt a little bit for it to feel better. Ooh, what were you doing to the poor child? Well, he had like, he has a little bit of infection in his leg, and so yeah. he kind of had to remove some of it. His leg? Some of his leg? Well, no, remove the oh. infection in his leg. It was oh. just a tiny thing. Okay? Really? It was like a pimple, okay? Did you did you make him bite down on a pencil? No, but Jax, like I, I want to you hold to hold him down while my wife like essentially <gasps> popped a zit on his yeah. leg. Yeah, is it a contagi- is it a molluscum contagiosum? It, it is. Those that's, are the worst. That's what it is. Yes, as a father of six, we've had many a uh, <laughs> molluscum contagiosum. Those are the worst and they're not they can't touch him. Oh, Don't you dare touch him. <gasps> Holy cow, we just had a Nelly pot brought in. Or a neti pot. But Joe Cannon bought me a neti pot. <laughs> what a stud. I'm doing so, yeah, it. I'm... Matt, I guess it has to hurt a little bit for it to feel better. That's great advice. Oh, what a good guy. He took care of me. He's trying to waterboard me. Um, so, guys, uh, I don't know if you've heard this, but tomorrow night... BYU takes on Valpo in the semifinals. Jeremy, are you aware of this? I am. We're doing a pregame show, actually. Um, oh, you are? Yeah, the, the first and only pregame show of the season, unless BYU gets to the championship game. If, Tomorrow if, night, 6 Eastern. If they get to the BYU championship game, are you guys going to be going there? Well, Dave McCann is live we on the scene. wish. Yeah, Dave McCann is live on the scene. Uh, he'll be on the show today to tell us the latest with Kyle Collinsworth's health. Okay. Tell us how uh, they're prepping. Roger Powell, who's an assistant coach for Valparaiso, he'll join us on the show today. Cool. Uh, what's interesting is two of the top ten scoring off- offenses in America are in the Horizon League, where Valparaiso won uh, that league. BYU is a top ten scoring offense as well. So have the Crusaders been prepped for BYU already by playing these two teams, Oakland and Green Bay? Seems and they, like just, they just played St. Mary's, so a little WCC feel as well. Huh. This is... This is like um, – it's got to be weird for you coming back, Jerem, because this all went on and then you come back and now you get handed these, this incredible semifinal pregame show. I was here last Tuesday and I went to the game. 
Yeah. So it's we've a, got, it's we've got bigger sudden. things. We've got bigger fish to fry on Wednesday night, Matt. Really? Do we? What are we frying? Are we having <laughs> a fish fry? We're awards again, which is like the BYU oh, Sports right. SBs. We're trying to make ourselves feel better because of that, but it, it doesn't make the hurt of us not going to New York. No, it make sure, will you guys make sure you record it? Because there's always really good footage that comes out of there. Out of the Y Awards? Uh-huh. There will be an in-house so, recording, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. And we let's, can refer to you to the right people. I'm, we're going to be busy hosting it, but but let's let's play let's play let's play some of that on the we show. We got some good jokes. Yeah, we got some good jokes planned. Do we you think they're good? We'll see if anyone laughs. I mean, if you guys want, I mean, I'm known for being hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm known if, for if that. You want what? From my family. No, oh. never mind. It doesn't matter. Aunt Martha, she thinks I'm hilarious. I will. I'll I'll shoot video of me doing my neti pot. If you guys will shoot video of you doing the awards. No deal. Okay. No Briefcase deal. number 37. Hey, um, uh, what do you guys think of the final four? Pretty crazy. Syracuse in there. First 10 seed ever to get in there. That's... Fourth double-digit seed ever. Yeah, I'm yeah. kind of bothered by the fact that Syracuse is in there. Why? Because, of one, they beat Gonzaga, and they shouldn't have beaten Gonzaga. <laughs> it could have been Gonzaga in the final it four. It could have been Gonzaga in the final oh, four. Oh, that would have been cool. They beat Virginia, though. They're le- if you beat Virginia, I know it's just one game, but you're Virginia's legit. Good. They're in the same conference. I know. I, who do you think is going to win the whole thing? I'm going with Oklahoma. Or North Carolina. I oh. had Oklahoma winning it before the tournament, so I'm going to stick with that pick. Did you really? Buddy Heel. I had Oklahoma playing Virginia, so I was feeling pretty good with like four minutes to go. Not to brag, but one of my uh, one of my brackets is at ninety one percent. Ninety one, yeah. How many brackets did you make? Forty. Oh my goodness! <laughs> no, I did. I made, trying to make some money. I made like five, and um, I really lucked out. But uh, okay, so so that's good. Life is good. Everything else healthy. You're happy, Jerem. You're back. Are you guys have you have you got back in sync together? In sync, we didn't. We didn't sing any NSYNC this morning, if you're wondering. It was Backstreet Boys. Was it Backstreet Boys? Uh-huh. It was, it was 98 Degrees. Was it? Is that your favorite boy band? Nick Lachey. Yeah. Favorite boy band? Uh, 98 Degrees, pass. man. 98 Degrees. Nick the, Lachey. <laughs> we, know, we know that Spencer loves NSYNC. Mm-hmm. You're the sunshine after the rain. That's the song. They didn't have any others. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. They love didn't you. They have, didn't they have like a, a – no, maybe that's sync. I don't know, something – what, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not segment. even going to go there. 98 degrees. My bad, my bad. This, hey, is, this is what I, I just missed. remember high school dances, 98 degrees. This is what I missed most about Jerem being gone. <laughs> Back when I used to be able to hit that note. Can you even hit that, that right note? Now. You can't do it, can you? Note, man. Don't do it. I understand. Halls, uh, I'm, you know – Taking a lot of hauls right now. Yeah. By the way, in Brazil, they think it's candy. Anyway, oh. <laughs> uh, so it says, you know, a, a pep talk in every drop. Ooh. So the pep talk for this one says, high five yourself. Ooh. So, that's, a good, that's a good little, that's a good, oh, good, good that's job. Otherwise known as a clap. Clap on. Cha-cha-chia. Don't make me laugh. I don't want my neti pot getting all over. Don't come to the Y Awards, man. Yeah. I hear that's a laugh a minute, guaranteed. Almost guaranteed. One new laugh every minute. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure, you guys. Um, okay, well, I, I'm glad you're back, Jerome. And uh, Spence, thanks for holding down the fort while he was gone. You know, doing doing my part. Make sure he doesn't listen to any of our any of our 
crosstalk stuff because, you know, we talked about him a lot. Yeah, that would be terrible. Yeah, just make sure. Our relationship. Crass, crass tag. Crass tag, yo. Hey, um, Kay, have a great show. Thanks, N- sir. Knock him dead, and I'll bring over the neti pot when I'm done with it. You got it, brother. Booyah. Thanks, kids. Bye. Peace out, yo. Ah, sickness spreading through BYU Broadcasting. <coughs> I seem to be immune to to that. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that a challenge? Mm-hmm. Are you throwing down a challenge? Yes, I am. You, my friend, have just made the biggest mistake of your life. So is my side of the challenge to get you more sick or just not to get sick? Your side is not to get sick. My side is to throw as many germs your way every day for the next week. Okay. What do I get if I win? If you win, you keep your job. I'd like a better option. If you win, you don't get fired. Almost there. (laughs) If you win, you stay healthy, young, vibrant. I'm not sure if there's any plus side to this. Well, here's the plus side. How could a hacker's typo help stop a billion-dollar bank heist? A spelling mistake in an online bank transfer instruction helped prevent nearly a $1 billion heist last month involving the Bangladesh Central Bank and the New York Fed, banking officials said. Unknown hackers still managed to get away with about $80 million. One of the largest bank thefts in history. The hackers breached Bangladesh's bank system and stole its credentials for payments, transfers, and then bombarded the Federal Reserve Bank of New York with nearly three dozen requests to move money from the Bangladesh Bank to several accounts for requests to transfer a total of about $81 million to Philippines went through. Are you kidding me? But a fifth for $20 million to a Sri Lankan nonprofit organization was held up because the hackers misspelled the word foundation in the NGO's name as foundation. <laughs> One misspelling. If you could have, and that guy you know is in trouble. That was a $20 million mistake. Actually, a billion-dollar mistake. Larry, it's foundation, not foundation. Come on. If you're going to rob the Federal Reserve, for heaven's sakes, learn to spell. Or at least have an English speaker on your team. How do you know that's not an English speaker? Mm -hmm. It's just a guess. Have you seen Terry spelling? Yeah, that's true. Not to brag. I was in the spelling bee in eighth grade. How many rounds did you get through? Two. Got out on the word lion. Oh, why don't you laugh about it? What a jerk. Did you just laugh at me out loud? How did you spell lion? L-O-I-N. <laughs> Loin. And that's why they affectionately call me Loin Boy. That's one reason. <laughs> Anyway, um, we got to get to our hero story. Our hero, you won't believe who our hero is. Hugh Jackman, Australian actor Hugh Jackman. He turned into a real-life hero at Sunday's Bondi Beach. Or, sorry, Sydney's Bondi Beach. Bondi Beach, for heaven's sakes. Sydney, Australia. On the beach when he helped a son and another man to safety from strong currents in the surf. Jackman is shown linking hands with a man and pulling him from a fast-flowing channel onto a sandbar where the water is shallow. 
in television footage broadcast uh, by Nine Network. The network said Jackman later helped his own son, Oscar, 15, from the exact same current. Peter Adam, who told Nine he was with uh, he was the man that Jackman helped, said he wasn't rescued by the film star. He he wasn't rescuing me. I was assisting him to get his daughter up to the sandbar. He then grabbed my hand to get us up. Adam said, "It's all an illusion, folks." The actor uh, is also shown beckoning other swimmers to shore to get him away from the rip current flowing out to sea. Jackman was at the beach with his family, Sydney's uh, Sunday Telegraph newspaper reported. But uh, in the end, he said, when we got in the water 20 minutes earlier, it was fine. Then the water just came up suddenly, she said. Hugh just pulled them calmly to the sandbar. He then said, all right, we are all going to walk toward the flags. So Hugh Jackman saved a few. Others were like, I had it, fine. But in the end, he's still the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. It's a big deal. You got to watch out for those riptides, folks. Hugh Jackman, he's the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. Again, we can't do the show without you, but uh, we're here Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern time. And uh, you can also find us on iTunes and tune in. You can go find and look up the BYU radio app for iOS or Android and just listen to all of our old segments. We have hundreds, 700 or something shows that uh, are all designed to give you the tools, the information you need to live longer longer, and love stronger. Until tomorrow, take care of each other. Watch each other's backs and uh, be a hero for somebody. We'll talk again tomorrow, folks. Take care. <laughs>